With law enforcement closing in, America's grisliest serial killer gets careless. When he's finally arrested, police and the public breathe a sigh of relief. But it would be nearly a decade before justice was served, and more lives would be lost in the meantime. This week's episode is Ted Bundy, Part 3. Fills with dread, probably a murderer who wants you dead. It could be a ghost, a demon, or worse. Perhaps you're the victim of a witch's curse. It's hopeless, you're doomed. You'd call a priest if you could. You'd rather just listen to who? Sinisterhood. I realized this will come out on our one year anniversary. Hey, happy one year. Happy one year anniversary. The first year, I believe, is paper. Okay. <laughs> which we don't use any because this is all on our laptops. <laughs> I'll give you those napkins where I wrote your La Llorona oh, hot Thank takes. you. <laughs> I will give you um, this piece of tissue that's on the floor over here. This that my dog probably shredded. <laughs> I think Lu- it is shredded from Lucy. Lucy eats napkins of oh, any kind. Yeah, same. I'll leave the room for two seconds and I come back. I'm like, really? In two seconds, you assholes shredded. couldn't just chill out for a second? You had Mm-mm. to find something to destroy? She'll drink my coffee. I can't turn my Ooh. back for a minute. That's why she's so crazy. <laughs> she's all hot up on caffeine. Jacked up on human food, pretty mm-hmm. much. But yeah, so uh, one year anniversary. Can you believe it? Man. My how things have changed. My how things have changed. How things have developed into something we didn't even think it was going to be. And it's all because of you guys who are listening. Thank yes, you so thank much. Thank you so much. And so happy for- anniversary to you as well. Yes, and to many more years of doing this. To many more. Is it Second like a- year, I think, is... Wood? Hell yeah. <laughs> I can't remember. Tommy, because he's... He gave you some wood on your second Yeah, he, every anniversary. <laughs> because he's the best, he gives me presents that are in theme with whatever that anniversary mm-hmm. thing is. So the first year is paper, and he gave me a really nice copy of one of my favorite books, and then... Which was what? Uh, the Alchemist. I was going to say Green Eggs and Ham. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Also, also good and also teaches a very good lesson. And he also had printed out and framed in this beautiful frame. It's so the song that we danced to at our wedding, uh-huh. but it was a private dance that we did after everyone had like lined up to see us go. Oh, that's a great idea. I didn't want it, to. It's weird. Nobody wants to watch you dance. Mm-hmm. While they just sit there, it's kind of awkward for everyone, I, I feel. Uh, yeah. So, and plus it's awkward for me. But it was to, we had a lot of Beyonce music play. But I don't think I've ever Beyonce. told you this. Yes. I don't think I've ever told you this. No. It was XO, but John Mayer's <gasps> oh version. Oh my God, I love that song. Have you heard the John Mayer oh, version? It's on repeat on my Spotify. So, so good. That's one of my favorite songs. So, it's beautiful. But the the what he had framed is... A digitalized printout of part of the song. It's like the waves, the music waves oh, of the like song. Oh, like the sound waves. Yes. But it's in the colors that our wedding was. And it's, it has like our names on it and the title Tommy, of the song. I just want to say to <laughs> anyone who nice. may want to court me, Tommy Brown has set the bar very high. He's really great. It's hanging right when you walk in our front door. It's there. So you've probably seen it and just haven't realized what it is. Yeah, Tommy has goals just for for all the reasons yes. that you've described and then just things I've seen. He and has, then I'm goals. always like... 
oh, your gift hasn't got here from Amazon yet. <laughs> I'll give it to you in a few days. I'm a really bad gift giver, and he's really good. Tommy's so like I a Leslie even Nope. Worse. He's like a Leslie Nope he really gift is. giver. Yeah. yeah, he is. He's, he's like, great. this is the waffle iron from the first diner we ever had breakfast together. Yes. And it's just like, oh, my God, how did you get this? <laughs> yeah. That yeah. is Tommy. He's amazing. He's great. Thanks, well, babe. So I'm assuming then Tommy will get us each a one-year gift. <laughs> I He probably already has, for all I know. He's probably handcrafting it right now as we speak. <laughs> I would not be surprised. Well, uh, what better way to celebrate our one-year anniversary than tackling <laughs> what, who, a man I'm tired of, frankly, tired of reading Dude, about? Last night I said, I go, this is going to be a really long episode. And Tommy was like, why don't you break it into two? I go, because I can't handle any more Ted Bundy. I'm done with this dude. I've read so much about him at this point. Because also when you pull up articles, it's his stupid idiot face. And I yeah. just want to smash it. <laughs> just, I just hate his face and I want to smash it. What I've noticed, and I, I noticed it, and then I read this whole thing about it. He had this ability to change his look. Mm-hmm. Not even just like his hairstyle and growing facial hair. He's like the the two-facer in Seinfeld. Like, depending on what light he's standing under, he looks like, totally Whoa. different. Yeah, and all these people would comment on it. Judges, lawyers, like, one minute he would look one way, and then I'd look over the next, and he'd be a totally different person. He Weird. was the chameleon, and that's one reason he was able to evade police for so mm-hmm. long is because... He kind of never looked the same. He's old Two-Face. Yeah, he's old Two-Face. Man, well... Well, happy anniversary to Ted Bundy. Yeah. Big fat idiot. Big fat idiot. Got burnt up, as we say. We'll get to that. Yeah. Here later, but I mean, uh, let's let's start so we can shut it down. <laughs> so we can finish. Well, this episode, this is the third episode in this series. So if you haven't listened to the first two, go back and get caught up. This one we're going to be talking about even... More victims, the Kyle Omega murders at Florida State University, the arrest and trial, and then the execution. Yeah. So, so buckle chapter. up, buttercups. <laughs> Let's get into it. Throughout 1974, Ted Bundy terrorized the women of Oregon, Utah, and Idaho. In 1975, his murderous rampage made its way to Colorado. His first known victim in his new hunting grounds was 23-year-old registered nurse Karen Eileen Campbell. On January 12, 1975, Karen, who was from Dearborn, Michigan, was two days into a two-week ski trip with her fiancé, Dr. Raymond Godowski, and his two children in Snowmass, Colorado. Raymond was attending a seminar, and Karen saw the trip as an opportunity to get away from work. On the evening of January 12th, the couple and the children had enjoyed dinner at the stew pot before retiring to the lounge of the Wildwood Inn, the ski lodge where they were staying. They were going to relax in front of the fire. Karen remembered she left the magazine she planned to read up in their room, and around 8 p.m. took the elevator to the second floor to retrieve it. In the elevator, she encountered a few doctors from the seminar. They chatted briefly, and Karen made the walk down the hall to her room. Did you see this picture of the distance she had to walk? It's... 50 feet. I mean, you could throw a stone. It's it's so, so close. So it's the same as with the... Um, Walking in the alleyway yes, of the shorty. Yeah. Yes, uh, George Ann Hawkins. It's just so... It's just a few feet between you and safety, and yet... And that's when your guard is most down. I'm almost there. I'm right yeah. here. That's why most traffic accidents happen within five miles of your home, because your oh. guard is down, and you're like, I got this. I'm almost home. Wow. Mm-hmm. Downstairs, Raymond and the children waited, but became worried after it had been a while and Karen hadn't returned. 
Eventually, Raymond headed upstairs to see if Karen was ill or had fallen asleep. He knocked on the door and got no answer. Since Karen had the only key to the room, Raymond asked the front desk for a duplicate key. When he finally opened the door, there was no sign of Karen, and the magazine she had intended on retrieving laid on the table in their room, untouched. Wouldn't you be so confused? It's terrifying. Well, he said he thought, since they had kind of a heavy dinner, he thought, well, and she had, she would have like stomach problems here and mm-hmm. there. He thought, well, maybe, you know, she went up there, she fell asleep. That would, or maybe that's she's what sick. I would do. A hundred percent. I went to the bathroom the other day. I was gone forever. And my <laughs> friends were like, they came back and said, hey, John Wayne, which was an implication that I pooped. Oh, yes. Took me a minute. I laughed and I went, hey, (laughs) I know what that nickname meant. So if I'm gone for a prolonged period upstairs, probably the people I'm Or I've fallen asleep. Or I just got sucked into this episode of Law and Order or something. Yeah. I I was responding to messages on my phone. But you wouldn't think, oh, she's been kidnapped. Surely she's, because especially at this time, no one in Colorado had been kidnapped. Right. And you're in your hotel. It's not like you're out in a, a sketchy part of town. You feel safe. It's and, a ski lodge. Yeah. And with a, it's filled with doctors for this seminar. Yeah. Nothing bad happens when doctors are around. <laughs> <laughs> a few hours later, around 1030 p.m., confused and worried, Raymond informed the police of Karen's disappearance. Police interviewed over 100 people and searched all of the 140 rooms in the hotel, but found no trace of Karen. 36 days later, a few miles from the Wildwood Inn, a recreational worker found Karen's nude body lying a short distance from the road. Animals had ravaged her body, which made it difficult to determine the precise cause of death. However, it was evident that she received crushing fractures to her skull that could have been fatal. Like many of the victims found in Utah and Washington, she had suffered from repeated blows to the head from a sharp instrument that left distinct linear groove depressions on her skull. I just wonder how much the Utah cases and the Washington state cases were really publicized Mm -hmm. that the police would. I just don't think you would have any reason to think that they were connected. It's just so far away. Well, and we'll get into that a little bit later. But what's so crazy is technology has come so far. Right. If a serial killer was on the loose and had killed... 10 people in Oregon, we would know about it here. Correct. If if you're keeping up with the news and whatnot. But back then, there wasn't social media. News would take a long time to get from one state to the next, and they also weren't sharing information across state lines at this point. True, and I, I guess they didn't think they had to or needed to. Yeah. Her body also had deep cuts made from a sharp weapon, and there was evidence that she had been raped. Based on the contents in her stomach, the medical examiner determined she was murdered approximately two hours after she disappeared. So it was a fast one. Damn, that's so, yeah. Because they had just finished eating, and she pretty much went up in the elevator and... Little did she know that was her last meal. Yeah. Two months later, on March 12th, 23-year-old part-time ski instructor Julie Cunningham had just returned to Vail from a two-week trip to Idaho. She called her mom to tell her about the trip which hadn't gone well due to boy troubles. She hung up and headed out to meet her roommate at a bar just a few short blocks from their apartment. All of these things just seem like within feet. Yeah. Feet of where where you think you're safe and where you're headed to that's also going to be safe. I know we've said he was not an evil genius and that he was an opportunity killer. However, I read something last night that said he would case the places where he was going to abduct women for weeks and find 
where he could hide in this little alleyway that was the only place that wasn't lit and he could be undetected and would even stake out like people's apartment to see how they were coming and going or well-traveled places in front of a bar where a woman might be walking by herself. So I think there was more planning than I had originally thought Mm -hmm. in who he, maybe not the exact person, but how he was going to do it and where it was Opportunities going to happen. that he could take advantage of. Well, and I think, too, it, he just was a predator. So he yeah. stalked people as if he were a yes. lion stalking. But he did plan things and knew because of his background training in psychology and criminal law and everything how to do things where he wouldn't leave fingerprints or evidence. That's why he didn't ever use a gun. Mm. He used things that, you know, ballistics couldn't be found Mm -hmm. or detected. So Or like leaving shell casings. Yeah, exactly. Or noise. Mm -hmm. He would use a hatchet or a crowbar to bang him over the head and uh, strangle them. Mm -hmm. So silent killers. they're not screaming, yeah. Mm -hmm. Julie was a dependable, friendly, well-liked girl. Investigators would later describe her as, quote, outgoing, but not loose. Okay. That's a very 1970s way <laughs> to describe God. a woman. She liked to go out, but she kept her legs closed. She was not loose. You know? Just, you know? And it's like, even if she were, it doesn't matter. Yeah. That has zero to do no. with what has happened. When she didn't show up to the bar or turn back up at the apartment, her roommate reported her missing. When police searched Julie's room, everything was in its place. Her car keys, toiletries, special face wash, and her diaphragm were all there. Well, you knew she was coming back if her diaphragm. A lady never leaves a diaphragm behind. Mm -mm. I never. What is a diaphragm? I only know it from Seinfeld because Elaine says I dropped my purse and my diaphragm diaphragm flew across the room. Is it like an inverse menstrual cup? I think so. Okay, I've never used one. I believe. I believe they're also called dental dams is that the no same i thought thing? a dental dam was a piece of plastic that you put oh over that's right when, when you're doing stuff cunnilingus yeah. yes i was gonna say eating out but the yeah. classier way Such to say a it. gross phrase <laughs> <laughs> i think it's just it blocks uh stuff from getting in there the diaphragm yeah did you is there like a pull tab not sure yipes i i i don't know much about it i think it's i don't know if it's something that's still really used I'm sure there are women out there that love a good diaphragm. Holler. But uh, I've never used one, and I don't think I've even ever seen one, to be honest. I bet there's extensive imagery online. I'm I'll sure we could it. do a I'll Google image it. search. We'll post a picture <laughs> we'll on our Instagram. Despite an extensive search, Julie was never found. Bundy later told investigators that he approached Julie on crutches, asked her to help carry his ski boots to his car, and then clubbed and handcuffed her. Just a son of a bitch. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, that just, I'm shaking my head over here because it's just so sad. You imagine this girl bouncing off to meet her friends, outgoing but not loose, going to meet, you know, hang out, and this guy approaches and she thinks, just I'll just helpful. take five minutes out of my time and be helpful. That's why you don't help people. She should have kicked the crutches out from under her. <laughs> don't, don't help people, guys. You say, I know you're trying to trick me, you son of a bitch. Well, if things had been more publicized, women would have known that this yeah. was this guy's M.O. and Crutch this was guy. happening all over the country. It's true. I mean, it's now I think that uh, with Twitter especially, and I actually saw a woman that's a, she's a moderately successful comedian and she posted something about her ex do, and uh, negative and uh-huh. he sent her a text and said, or, that said, take that down immediately or else. But in the meantime, while the tweet was up, like 10 or 20 other women had DM'd her and said, hey, he did something similar to me. So mm-hmm. I think that's where the power comes in in us saying, this guy does these things. Yeah. Keep an eye out. Absolutely. Need an anonymous list to warn other women. Dude. Then you're getting into like Black Mirror territory where you're <laughs> rating people. <laughs> 
After clubbing and handcuffing her, he then drove 90 miles west to the town of Rifle, where he sexually assaulted her and then strangled her to death. Weeks later, Bundy drove six hours from his apartment in Salt Lake City to revisit Julie's remains. That's wild because he remembers where it was, first of all, in the wilderness. And then on top of that, takes... No wonder he was doing badly in law school. He wasn't sleeping or studying. He was, he was spending all his time in the car going to sleep with the, his victims. His victims' bodies. And it's just as... To- he wanted total control. Yes. I read last night how, again, in the Ted Bundy tapes on Netflix, he speaks in third part in third, third person, person to avoid kind of the stigma of... Admitting it. Admitting things. And he talks about how a person like this would want to revisit where his victims were because he took pride in in this perfect thing he had done and the reason he wanted to stay with their bodies and he would spend the night out in the woods at these burial sites and have again sexually assault them put makeup on them do their hair paint their nails paint their nails all sorts of stuff and he said that it was the ultimate feeling of possession and power and control that he once he took a woman's life and also sexually assaulted her, he felt that was the two of them becoming one mm-hmm. and that they would always share this special bond because and they would he be was, a part of him. Yes. And, and vice versa, because he had taken the things most precious from them mm-hmm. and consumed them. And he wanted to relive that as long as possible. And he would only stop going out there after putrefaction had taken over and they were just dissolving. Yeah. And it's that whole idea of ultimate, ultimate control. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think he started off stealing things as a kid and a teenager. And then even with Liz, everything nice that he had, he had stolen. Mm -hmm. And it's just taking possession, possessing in its mind. I think, I mean, this is not, I'm not a psychologist, but it comes from this lack of, (laughs) you know what? I think I'm as much of a psychologist as Dr. Phil. I'm a, I am a doctor. I'm a jurist doctor. I think we're more of doctors and dr phil you can call me dr heather i would uh, love to be called dr christy well that would be a call-in show that i would so participate in. <laughs> <laughs> and i feel like every time i text you about personal stuff it is a call-in show <laughs> that i'm asking ask dr christy i love it uh but i think that he had this lack of a really grounded identity from mm-hmm. his childhood and the more things he could take and possess then he was creating this identity for himself and then it just escalated 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 so once you take things then you want to start taking people by emotional and psychological control and when that's not enough then you want to sexually assault them and when that's not enough take their lives yeah he's a shit bag yeah pretty that's succinctly <laughs> <laughs> on april 6 1975 In Grand Junction, Colorado, 24-year-old Denise Oliverson was riding her yellow bike to her parents' house after having an argument with her husband. She never arrived. The next day, police found Denise's yellow bike, along with her shoes, underneath a nearby bridge. As police interviewed friends and relatives, they learned Denise had a relatively normal life and had no logical reason to disappear. Denise fit the Bundy profile. She had long brown hair she wore parted down the middle and blue eyes. The police became even more concerned. Her family printed up missing person posters using her wedding photo. Sadly, Denise was never found. You know that husband. The last thing that happened between them was an argument. That's heartbreaking. That is my worst fear. If Tommy and I have a tiff and he leaves, I immediately... You're like, well, he's going to die in a car accident. <laughs> well, that's... I think that every time 
somebody leaves because I have crippling anxiety. But I will call him on the phone or run out to the car because I don't want the last thing that's happened to be like fight a fight of any kind. I worry about that stuff all the time. That's and you know he had to take her wedding photo mm-hmm. and copy it and mm-hmm. put it on the missing person. That's so heartbreaking. It's, it's awful. It was only in 1989, days before his execution, that Ted Bundy confessed to investigators he had disposed of a body in a river about five miles west of Grand Junction. The authorities suspect that it was Denise. He probably didn't even know her name. It was nope. just, it was a body. Mm-hmm. Many, many authorities believe he doesn't even know how many people he really killed. I think so. And I think on those treks between Salt Lake City and Seattle and things like that, he just would grab people. Yeah. He's just driving down the road and sees, sees somebody. Yeah, anybody. That's another one, a little notch on his bedpost. Yeah, that he could do that. And I think, too, like you said, this was days before his execution when he finally kind of had nothing left to lose. But up until then, it's another way to possess him of, I know where she is mm-hmm. and none of you do. Mm-hmm. And you never will yeah. unless you get me to help you. Absolutely. May 6, 1975 was the last time any witnesses saw 12-year-old Lynette Don Culver alive at Alameda Junior High School in Pocatello, Idaho. She reportedly left the school grounds on her lunch break and never returned. Did you have off-campus lunch? Not in middle school. Not in middle school. We, in high school, yes. In high school, they had just, the year I started, they you weren't allowed to have off-campus lunch anymore. I as think, a freshman? I think, oh, at well, all. never as a freshman. And I think they, by the time I became a senior, they had, they shut it down. And at the time, I was so annoyed. And now I think, good Lord, don't let school children roam the streets in hindsight it probably wasn't the smartest but i loved it (laughs) we weren't supposed to leave our freshman year freshmen weren't allowed but i did it anyways all the time yeah i feel like teenage christy was uh (laughs) don't give a fuck uh and grown-up christy same same yes yes i was even more rebellious though as a teenager everyone would leave campus though even i mean you just kind of sneak out and because you had ids Mm -hmm. that allowed you to leave campus for lunch and when you left the parking lot there was someone there standing checking your ids and you would just if you became friends with the guy his name was bear bear Um, was cool bear was cool and he'd just be like just go so we would always go to wendy's or burger king or whataburger and just smoke cigarette after cigarette what (laughs) so gross (laughs) but in hindsight we could have got, well, we did get into a lot of trouble. I get we were doing things we weren't supposed to. So as a 12-year-old, I definitely would not want to have that kind of freedom. No. We, everything, I went to a private school, so everything was contained on oh, that's right. one campus. And there was a big cafeteria for everyone. Although in 1989, Ted confessed to authorities that he abducted Lynette and took her to a room at a Holiday Inn, where he raped her, drowned her in the bathtub, and dumped her body in the Snake River. Some Idaho law enforcement are skeptical. They believe Lynette's disappearance could have been connected to four other cases in the late 1970s and early 1980s, where Pocatello girls were abducted and killed, cases which Ted could not have been responsible for as he was incarcerated for the remainder of the abductions. I think it's possible that he did the first one. I mean... If he remembers why, specifically. Why would he? I mean, again, lying about that, he would lie about it to have control and to fuck with them. And it but was how would his he know story. her name and that city and the Snake River? Also, we'll later find out there were, 
one or two other girls under the age of 15 that he did this yeah. to. So I don't think it was out of character ab- above him at all to go from college students to a preteen. Yeah. But that, that is so we also see he's a monster pedophile. Yes. And it really doesn't matter. And I saw pictures of these girls. They don't look like young adults. They look like little girls. At any rate, he's in his 30s at this point, mm-hmm. chasing after these teens, even if they're in college. Mm-hmm. It's There's some sort of, I think there's some sort of... Uh, issue with his development that back he can't get past being with stephanie in college Mm -hmm. that he still god i saw short aside i saw this thing on reddit which actually it was from reddit but i saw it on twitter that from the i am an am i an asshole page Mm -hmm. and it was a 30 some odd year old guy 32 33 year old guy who had gotten divorced and he was out with his buddy and he said i just really hadn't been into any girls any women since my wife left me or whatever and then they're at what he described as a bar and grill, so I can only picture chilies. I can only picture chilies. <laughs> He's like, we were at a bar and grill, and a girl was having her nineteenth birthday oh, at a God. Bo- corner booth. There was a cake with a nineteen on it. Jesus. And the girls and all of her friends saying happy birthday. And he went over and said, "Hey, I just want to say happy birthday." Uh. And the friends kind of go, "Okay, thanks." And he's like, "Hey, so what are you guys up to? How's it going? What are you doing tonight?" And he's in his thirties. Yes. And yeah, his you're friend, an asshole. You're also a fucking pervert. And it's and his friends are his friends like, "Hey, we gotta go, man. <laughs> like, let's be cool." And the finally one of the girls goes, "All right, R. Kelly, get the hint." Yeah. And he his am I an asshole thread? <laughs> I'm so sorry. He was like, "I was bullied by some teenage girls," <laughs> <laughs> and I just want everyone on Idiot. here to tell me that I am not in the wrong because well, I'm, Reddit so, is not the place to ask for people to not tell you you're an asshole he had the most you are an asshole ever and eventually he deleted the post well it's just been upvoted a million times well a bunch of he deleted it because a bunch of people screenshotted it but my favorite was like i was bullied by some teenagers that i was trying to have sex with and it was like (laughs) all right you're not you don't see this but then the best part is the the birthday girl saw her a friend of her saw the post she went and made another post that explained her side of it and she said they were all the, the bullying part aside from saying get the hint are Kelly is after he had his he argued with them by the way and said you're all adults I'm I can have sex with you if I want I'm an adult too and like argued why it was okay for a 30 year old to prey on these teens and he said you're all legal you're legal which is so disrespectful oh my god maybe they're just not into you you fucking moron that's what and they said the one girl said he's like a reasonable looking guy but maybe for my aunt yeah. which is such a burn <laughs> but he said after he walked away they said that the girl started singing remix to ignition and it really hurt his feelings nice. and so then the girl makes her post and she says i was literally trying to enjoy my birthday anybody coming over it was not yeah. a bar she's like we're not legal to drink so we're not at a bar we were at a bar and grill and she said we're sitting in a dirty chilies in a circle corner booth that was kind of closed off it was clearly a private birthday party and this guy comes up and she's like we try to give him cake so that he would leave we're like here have a piece of cake for the road he goes the night's not over yet and sat down with him and then when finally the friend snapped the birthday girl said i was getting upset this is very heather thing to do if my friend was getting pissed off i would just say something or leanne did this at another friend's birthday a guy was bothering our friend's 92-year-old grandmother and Leanne just walked over and was like, you need to leave. Yeah. I was like, that's my wife. I, w- I would pull the same move. That's my wife. So she, the girl, birthday girl said, well, my friend just snapped and I was about to. She didn't, but she didn't want me to have to throw a fit on my birthday. And then the guy argued with us and blah, blah. Basically, the side of it was exactly what rational people would see, which is an 
grown adult man preying on some teens and making them feel really uncomfortable. And the girls did say the whole time the guy, the guy's friend was trying to get him to go because the friend could clearly tell. He recognized this isn't mm-hmm. right. And even regardless of age. Right. Be- which it be- could have been another group of 30, 30 something. something year old women. If a woman doesn't want you to talk to her, get the hint and take your ass out the door. Yeah. my thing Get is your like- jalapeno poppers to go and <laughs> fuck fucking out. go. <laughs> fuck out of here. Chili's to go. I'm like, I'm not offended that you interrupted my birthday celebration. I'm offended that you thought you had the right to talk to me at all. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it doesn't matter if it's her birthday or just they're all hanging out. Don't if if somebody doesn't want you to approach them, let them enjoy their skillet queso. Yeah. <laughs> Don't think that you are entitled because he and he was also using his age as a bullying yes. tactic. Yes, he was taking a position of authority like a father figure and Beefing up over basically there. telling them. I have every right to do what I'm doing. And Listen here, youths. Yeah. I'll not be disrespected by so some children that I'd gross. like to have sex with. And then what was he going to do if they were into him? You're going to go home and bang a girl that's barely legal? That just had her 19th birthday? What do you think you have in common, really? Good God. Zero. Anyway, it was one of... You, I, both, you both happen to like casual dining. And he said, well, they could, They didn't need to be rude to me. And the girl in her post said, I don't think I should have to be nice to someone Hell who's no. creeping me out. And I they was had like, every right to be rude to you. Yes, they did. People you know can what? be however they want to anybody. <laughs> Thank you. It doesn't... I mean, you're not... A, even if somebody's the nicest person in the world to you, if you want to be an asshole to them, guess what? We live in fucking America, and you have that right. I am heated up, right? <laughs> it is not even noon, and I am... <laughs> I am flushed. I'm so mad right now. My favorite thing is... She, he said, I just don't think anyone has the right to bully. I was like, I agree, unless you are a sex predator. Then b- children bully away. Yes, bully. Please. Please bully all the, all the live long day. But she said, she said, I don't think we should be required to be polite to creeps and I thought amen sister yes printed on a t-shirt oh man but yeah get the hint R. Kelly I was like man that was a good line but yeah I, I hope think- his ex-wife saw that and just went God, dodged good a for me bullet. Good for I just me. imagine this man being like, I am a white American male in a polo shirt in a Chili's bar and grill. You have to talk to me. Also, the fact that he thought that Reddit was going to be sympathetic to this shows <laughs> what a BFI he is and how entitled and just head up his ass. And just, yes, out of sync with reality. You know what? You know who will care about this? The internet. Specifically, Reddit. They're the <laughs> nicest people on the internet. Everyone's like, you're a huge asshole. Get off of here. Get out. Just <laughs> get out. God. Get out of here. Yeah, oh, it's so funny. Man. So also, I think, too, if your profile, which is a mid-30s guy, uh, preying on 19-year-old girls, you know, if anything you're doing in your behavior mirrors that of, oh, I don't know, one of the most notorious serial killers in American history, <laughs> yeah. you just want to take a step back and re-examine your behavior. Yes, maybe. I, I hope someone just put a link to Bundy's Wikipedia page with Seriously. just that section highlighted. Like, as a 33-year-old man, Ted Bundy frequently preyed on 19-year-old <laughs> college-age girls. Also loved boneless wings. So, I mean, he was always, he was from those shrimp shooters. He'd head up to that Chili's. <laughs> oh, good God. My, my knowledge of the Chili's menu is skillet queso and then the parody Chili's menu from Office Space where he's like shrimp shooters. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Extreme yeah, yeah. fajitas. Yeah, yeah. That's all I can think about. In the midst of brutally raping and murdering young women... You're so mad. I am. Also, I'm thinking about skillet queso, if I'm going to be honest. I love it. It's so good. I get the chilies, chips, and salsa, and then... uh, Please, for anyone who doesn't live in Texas, I apologize for the disgusting thing I'm going to (laughs) say. 
But we in Texas dip a lot of stuff in ranch. Oh, hell yeah. And I love to get chips and queso at mm-hmm. Chili's and a side of ranch. Oh, and yeah. I will dip the chips in the ranch. I will eat ranch I'll, with a spoon. God, it's, man. I dip anything in ranch. I'm trying to think how many times I've had ranch in the past week. It's got to be at least two, maybe three times. <laughs> a dozen. <laughs> but ranch I dip, is so good. At Alamo Draft House, I get the carnivore pizza. I dip that in ranch. Oh, yeah. Oh, if, if pizza doesn't come with ranch, it, can, it, it. can fuck right off. <laughs> I will only eat pizza with ranch. French fries. I mean, obviously wings. Man, Snuffers cheese fries. If you're not from the Dallas area, there's a restaurant called Snuffers. I was just talking about Snuffers with somebody, and I was like, God damn, no, I just want those cheese fries. Oh, and their burgers are great. Snuffers is great. They're like steak fries. I once saw my nephew dip strawberries in ranch. Okay, well, that's That's how much people in Texas love ranch. A step too far. (laughs) He was like four years old. But as this this show uh, expands beyond our original network, which was local Texas folks, now we have people in other countries and especially other cities in the U.S. that just go, what the fuck is wrong with Texas? (laughs) Also, what is ranch? (laughs) Ranch is a dressing. It's a salad dressing. It's made with mayonnaise, I guess. And buttermilk Buttermilk. and some herbs. Yeah. It's from a hidden valley, so we don't know, honestly. We can't know. (laughs) What's been? The valley is hidden. It's kept very secret. It's Wonka's factory. They open the gates. A oh truck God! Of- what about okay? Wonka's factory, but instead of chocolate, it's, it's ranch. ranch. Just and and you fall in a river of ranch and you get sucked up that tube <laughs> filled uh, with ranch. I would have just glued that like. <laughs> oh God! She's fallen in. Let her. That let her be. That's how she, she died to go. doing what she loved. Just slurping ranch. <laughs> Just consumed in a vat of ranch. A disgusting person. All right, we got a lot more Bundy to cover. Let's well, get back okay, into it. Okay, so back to Bundy. So in the middle of all this, he's keeping up his appearances. Yes. In the midst of brutally raping and murdering young women, Ted continued to maintain a seemingly normal life with friends and family. In May of 1975, three of Ted's coworkers from the Department of Emergency Services back in Washington State came down to visit him in Salt Lake City. Ted cooked them lavish dinners while playing Mozart on the record player. He took them around to all the Salt Lake City restaurants and neighborhoods and generally tried to show off. Among those visitors was Carol Ann Boone. He's just trying to act cool, man. Yeah. He's he, a lawyer. Oh, everything he was wanted, about a facade for him. Absolutely. He wanted to be a lawyer without being a lawyer. He didn't want to go to law school or pass the bar. Like he wanted Kim Kardashian. Huh? <laughs> he wanted to be fancy guy without knowing jack shit about being fancy. You know, he wanted, he wanted to be wealthy because he grew up without wealth and he always envied He wanted to be a husband and father without actually having to commit to being a husband and father. He was bullshit. Yeah. Well, through and through. Money, what did money talks and bullshit walks. Mm. And this guy had his walking shoes on <laughs> in june ted visited liz back in seattle for a week and despite her having reported him to police as a possible serial killer a few months earlier things seem to be going well well just there's just that one fact that maybe <laughs> just that he's one a serial killer you know small little detail they talked a lot about the future and even made plans to get married that christmas while liz didn't mention that she had reported ted to the seattle and salt lake city law enforcement Ted didn't mention his numerous other romantic relationships, Mm-mm. including Carol Ann Boone and one of his Utah law school classmates. Okay, here's the thing. Liz. Baby girl. I, again, I'm not, I am not one that victim blames or shames. I feel like she's had some outs at this point. He's away... Yes, he knows where she lives. That's terrifying. My thing is, 
placate him, make him think things are normal. Maybe that's why she was talking about getting married in the future. But what if she really had plans to marry him? And then you're bringing your daughter into that. Well, and I wonder, too, if because he was by all accounts a good father figure to the daughter who is at this point around 12 so he has raped and murdered girls that could be her friends or her or her yeah and i know at least in the the zach efron movie when liz later finds out that he did some of his victims were that young she felt terrible that he had been around her daughter so of course she doesn't know that that's what's going on but she's reported him three times now as being a possible serial killer. I wonder, too, if it was just fear. Yeah, I mean, it. I think, well, I still haven't read her book. So I, I wonder, I, I think fear, of course. Was there part of her that was still loved him, though, for the person that she wanted him to be and initially fell in love with? To be fair, I have dated some real shitbags. Not this big of a shitbag. Never. But you overlook stuff. You I mean, do. The, I mean, glaring, and it's you're ha- you have this dual mind where... The, you can compartmentalize. Yeah, and I'll say the logical, rational part of you says, get the fuck out, run away, never talk to this I, man again. She's found women's clothes, panties, keys, a hatchet in his car. Some people use hatchets for regular stuff. Plaster of Paris. That's shady. You know, I mean, all of these things she knows Crutches. the cops are looking for with this suspect. She saw a picture of his face drawn and said Ted underneath. Yeah. And said that car. looks like the man that I share a bed with. That I'd like to marry in Christmas time. So I, but you have this rational part of your mind that says, get the fuck out, run. And then you have this other part of your mind that says, well... It's a, we just had a good day though. Yeah. And it's a mark of, and having been in abusive relationships, it's a mark of being in an abusive relationship where the good days, you just hang on to those Mm -hmm. and the bad days, you just grin and bear it and say, well, this is how things should be. It's like, no, I think pretty much 99% of days should be good days, you know, or reasonably okay days. And zero of the days should be days where you call the the person that you're with is a serial killer or capable of doing something like that. Yeah. So I think she, was in a terrible situation. Rock in a hard place. I mean, because you, as sure as you say, never come back here again, you, he has a hatchet in his car. Yeah. And he said, I'll fucking kill you. Yeah. And knows where she lives. So, I, I mean, she's I, a single mom. She can't just pick up and move. And No, she didn't have that much money. And, and she think, had a job and, you know, had ties to where she was. Well, and, and she left Utah to leave her ex husband behind. So it's like, Who what are you going to go back? Felon. So she also kind of wasn't a stranger to possibly nefarious behavior well and i just you know i think if you say i'm gonna fucking kill you if you tell anybody or if you do anything she's now reported him three times if he finds out that she oh, called, she's dead. i mean she's terrified yeah yeah and also he burned a head in her fireplace <laughs> he did I, say it later came out that he tried to kill liz he did try to kill her once he said she was asleep and he opened the, or he closed the fire flue mm-hmm. and lit, lit a fire and then stuffed towels under external doors and left the house to basically suffocate really? her. And then she, she did, she later on said, I remember waking up coughing one night. And what, he came back and undid it? I think he, she woke up and I think either opened the doors or, or undid it, but she didn't die. But he said, yeah, I, I set that fire to, to kill him. Interesting. Basically. So that's, I mean, this woman is trapped, literally yeah. trapped in an abusive relationship. Yeah. He was verbally abusive. I'm assuming probably would get physical. There's no way he didn't. He had so much rage in him. Yeah. And then 
Trent he was, was also an alcoholic. And when yes. he he would later said that when he committed these crimes, he would be blackout drunk. He had to drink a lot to silence the his main personality, which was telling him, don't do this, this is wrong, to get to the inner evil one that was couldn't be contained and needed this urge to be satiated. Yeah. That's I mean, and that's how it happens is you when people drink like that, it, they're a whole nother person. Yeah, yeah. Well, just a few weeks after his talks of wedding planning with Liz, Bundy killed again. Fifteen year old Susan Curtis of Bountiful, Utah, was a student at Woods Cross High School. She was on the track team and the girls baseball team during her freshman year. Susan had a history of running away from home for days at a time, but she was never missing for very long. Did you ever run away? Um, not like really. Mm-hmm. I went to a friend's house once. I mean, my parents knew where I was. I yeah. was this was in my real bad year. <laughs> Wild child. <laughs> when I was uh yeah, 15, 16. But I, I mean, that'd be worst. hard for her parents if she, you know, went go go out be gone for 3 or 4 days at a time and they just assumed she'd come back. Yeah, and it. again, it's the 70s. There's not cell phones. You think this is you're, another one of those. You're you really have no way even if you think something might be wrong of getting in contact with them. Mhm. On June 27, 1975, Susan was attending the Bountiful Orchard Youth Conference at Brigham Young University in Provo, Utah. She had ridden her bike all the way from Bountiful to be there, a 50-mile trip. On the evening of the first night of the conference, there was to be a formal banquet at the Wilkinson Student Center. Susan left her friends to walk back to her dormitory and brush her teeth. The distance was only about a quarter of a mile. Again, it's so short. Something you can see. You see Gosh. your destination and you're not going to get to it. Yep. Susan never made it back to the banquet, and authorities don't believe she ever even arrived at her dormitory. After she was reported missing, they checked her toothbrush and it was dry. So she didn't even get that one yep. short walk back to the dorm. Susan's murder would become Bundy's last confession tape recorded moments before his 1989 execution. He stated he'd buried her body along a highway near Price, Utah, but a search of the site turned up no evidence. Again, control. Another investigator said, well, when it becomes clear to him, I'm going to be executed, he finally starts admitting to a lot of these murders. But a lot of them he still held out, hoping to get another stay of execution. Mm Mm-hmm. And that was part of the argument that actually the state made was stay his execution so that he can help us in the investigations. And a lot of the family, the victims of the family said, we don't care if he admits to him. We know he did it. Mm -hmm. All we want is for him to be dead. But one of the investigators also said for all the bodies, he did tell us where they were buried. There were so many where he didn't because, again, he wanted to be that control and, and at one with his victim and to be he the only one to be the only one knowing where their final resting place was was exciting and powerful for him. Yep. He, he still up until secret. his death wanted that control over them. Yeah, he loved that secret exactly. He was satisfied with himself that he was able to hold on to mm-hmm, it. Mhm. Well, during this time Ted was also attending the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in Utah and in August of 1975 was baptized into the Mormon Church. While he typically ignored most church restrictions, he had developed a close relationship with the church leader 
and befriended many fellow parishioners who would later vow that there was no way he could have committed such heinous crimes. Yeah, later when he's arrested, they all drew a cute little card mm-hmm. for him and signed it and said, we love you. We have your back. We're looking. We're, we're praying for you, Ted. That's what we call an oopsie-daisy. Whoopsie. <laughs> Meanwhile, investigators in Washington State were attempting to make sense of the rash of killings that had now ended with no warning. They compiled all known evidence into the most advanced computer they had, the King County Payroll Computer, a huge primitive computer by today's standards. I like it that someone said, you know what, it's a good one. Use the payroll computer. <laughs> Plug it in there. It does the, it probably prints out the most uh, stuff of anything in this office. Keeps the most info. Mm-hmm. The computer compiled several lists, one of which was especially useful. It compared local residents named Ted to those who also owned VW Beetles. Ted Bundy's name was on that list, along with 25 other men who matched the criteria. Imagine the other 24. <laughs> you used to a guy named Ted trying to cruise around your bug. <laughs> Shit. Detectives also manually compiled a list of their 100 best suspects where Bundy's name also appeared. I think his name starts, you know, this is where it's starting to come up more yes, and more. Yes, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. It's devastatingly slow that it took this long. Yeah. And, and so many people had to die in between. It's very, very sad. And... I'm glad today that we have technology that would prevent something like this from happening. Hopefully. hopefully. Or at least stop it sooner. A yeah, lot sooner. Yeah. On August 16th, 1975, Ted Bundy was cruising around Salt Lake City in the wee hours of the morning. Sergeant Bob Hayward happened to be sitting in his cruiser outside his home at 3 a.m., finishing a shift log, when he noticed the tan VW Beetle drive by. Minutes later, his radio crackled with a call for assistance, and he responded. I like this Sergeant Hayward. He's a uh, he's like what I imagine the perfect law enforcement official is, where he sees something that's a little off, goes in, investigates, goes by the book, takes See him something, down. Say something. You know what? Takes him down. Sergeant Hayward was familiar with almost every car and residence of his own neighborhood. So when he took a wrong turn, leaving the subdivision and stumbled on the Beetle parked in front of a neighbor's home, he got a bad feeling. Sergeant Hayward knew the owners were on vacation, and their two teenage daughters were home alone. Again, it's Bundy had stalked them out. When the cruiser's lights hit the Beetle, it took off, careening through the neighborhood and barreling onto a main road, before eventually pulling into an abandoned gas station. When the driver stepped out of the car, he raised his hands and attempted to offer the explanation that he was lost. The driver went on to say that he had been at the drive-in, watching Towering Inferno. This was a crucial misstep, as Sergeant Hayward had cruised past the local drive-in that night on his patrol and knew that movie wasn't playing. Man, he thought he was so slick, given this detail. Uh-huh. It's like in an improv scene. Where give a detail. Towering Inferno is different than just saying you were at the movies. Sometimes you don't want to give a detail. Because it gives your ass away, <laughs> idiot. Have you ever seen Towering Inferno? I haven't. It's kind of cheesy. It's a 1970s movie about a building that burns down. That's the whole movie. Oh, okay. The building's on fire, and will the people get out or will they not? And is anyone famous in it? Lots of famous people were in it that were famous around the time. And I don't remember why. I was on American Movie Classics, AMC Channel, mm-hmm. when I was a I kid. I love AMC. And I just watched it, and I thought, man, this is a bad movie. It's not that great. <laughs> My mom said, well, at the time, it was yeah, very impressive. And I bet it was very intense and suspenseful. Very impressive. But at that time, I'd probably seen Titanic, and I was like, I've, I yeah, know I, I've seen is. suspense. I've seen that steamy car oh, window. the hand print on the <laughs> steamy window sergeant hayward knew something wasn't right and asked to search the car inside he found a brown gym bag containing a ski mask 
ice pick, some strips of torn sheet, a pry bar, pantyhose, trash bags, a coil of rope, and handcuffs. He also noticed the front passenger seat had been removed and placed on the back seat. Bundy tried to explain it all away, claiming the ski mask was for skiing. He had found the handcuffs in a dumpster. Who doesn't just go dig through a dumpster? And also, even if you found them in a dumpster, Don't, why do you have them? <laughs> he said that the rest were common household items. Despite his profession of innocence, Bundy was arrested for possession of burglary tools. I just love that he has them all in a bag. Yeah, and well, he's, he's so He's smug. a planner. Yeah, he's like, again, he's so arrogant. So smart. To him, he is organized. He is on top of things. Everything yes. is right where he needs it. Mm-hmm. To others, you moron. This is why the president and the vice president don't travel in the same plane. <laughs> like, you get caught with this, you're going down. He's like, it's just something you would have under your kitchen sink. Yeah. But not in a gym bag you know, together in your and backseat. And granted, I do have trash bags under my kitchen sink. I don't have a pry bar and, an and ice a pick. coil of rope and an ice pick. If I have those things, they're in separate locations in my house and garage. They're not all combined in one bag. And do a murder sack. Yes. Sergeant Hayward's brother, Sheriff Pete Hayward, told his detectives about Ted Bundy's arrest by his brother. When the sheriff mentioned the tan Volkswagen and the suspect's name, that set off alarm bells for detectives Ben Forbes and Jerry Thompson, who had been working the case. Thompson specifically remembered that it matched the description of the man who had attempted to kidnap Carol Durant almost a year earlier. So now things are starting to click across state lines. Mm-hmm. And by happenstance, information is being shared, not even intentionally. They just but happen just, to be brothers. Yeah, yeah. While Bundy was in custody, police searched his apartment and found a guide to Colorado ski resorts with a checkmark by the Wildwood Inn as well as a brochure that advertised the Viewmont High School play in Bountiful, where Deborah Kent had disappeared. What they didn't find was Bundy's Polaroid collection of some of his victims, which he later told authorities he destroyed as soon as he was released from custody. Where do you think they were? I don't know, but I believe the search warrant they had only allowed them to search what was visible in the residence. Mm, so they couldn't dig and through And so I don't think they could stuff. dig through stuff. Because I imagine... They were pretty easy to find if they had been able to just open some drawers. And dig stuff out. Because he's so arrogant. He would just, I mean, I'm surprised they weren't framed above his mantle, quite honestly. I think it was a limited scope search warrant, and so they weren't allowed to dig, from what I remember from the Bundy tapes. And, man, can you imagine learning that afterwards? And if they had found those, case closed. Treasure trove. Yeah, right there. they, They would have been over. So many lives saved. Despite his suspicious behavior and the murder bag that was found in his VW Beetle, police did not have enough evidence to detain Bundy, and he was released on his own recognizance and put on 24-hour surveillance. Up until now, police departments hadn't been sharing information across state lines, which could have helped them possibly see a pattern between all these crimes. Authorities from Washington, Oregon, Colorado, and Utah decided it was time they come together. The first meeting of its kind They convened at the Four Seasons in Aspen to compare notes, later known as the Aspen Summit. Damn, the Four Seasons is nice. Mm -hmm. They found there were similarities among all the victims and agreed that Bundy was their suspect. They also agreed there wasn't sufficient evidence to charge Bundy with the murders and that their best case against him would be the Carol Durant kidnapping. It's true because he did not leave hardly any... He was smart in that regard. ...physical evidence. Yeah, they needed a a live witness. There weren't fingerprints. He, again, didn't use a weapon that... Traceable. ...would be traceable. On October 2nd, police called Carol and asked her to come to the station to identify Bundy in a lineup. 
In an attempt to hide his identity, Bundy has cut his hair and was parting it on the opposite side. Despite this, Carol immediately picked him out as the man who assaulted her. Two other witnesses also recognized him as the man who had been at the school play where Deborah Kent had gone missing. Bundy was arrested and charged with attempted kidnapping. He made kind of a mistake at the school play. Well, with Carol Durant, he spent a lot of time with her as far as talking to her in the right. mall, walking her to her car. She had, she a, had a great, I mean, close-up view of him and his voice, for a long time. Knowing how his voice sounded, what he looked yeah. like from multiple angles and different lights. And then at the school play he, Debbie Kent was not his initial target he walked around the back of the play mm-hmm. kind of drawing attention to himself because it's a small town and people pacing know. and you know this isn't a parent of he any of these three kids three times went up to the teacher who had dark hair parted in the middle mm. who was the director of the school play and said uh, excuse me I, I need you to come with me outside and see something in the parking lot should I have a direct I'm directing a play get out of here play, moron. and then again he came up to her another time and said I, I just I really need you to come outside and she said literally the students are about to go on stage no and then the the third time she ran into him in the hallway and he was about to talk to her and she said did you ever get somebody to help you and he's like no it's fine don't worry about it if you've ever been in theater in school the night of the play the teacher <laughs> so directing chaotic. the play yeah. is not going to go that's outside the last with person you. that's going to leave that auditorium she's never going to leave the building but that's how arrogant he was yes he said i'll make her he go set outside. his sights on the person he wanted and he then he unfortunately was, for debbie kent yeah that's really sad went for someone else but again he had been in and around the theater and the yeah, auditorium so people saw De- him. and debbie was taken at intermission so he was there throughout the whole so p- multiple people saw him so they had two witnesses from yeah. that too so he wasn't getting away with it carol durant said in the interview on the, the bundy tape said as soon as he walked in the room she immediately knew it was him mm-hmm. just from his walk oh you wouldn't and it's a monster you'd never forget yeah and again it wasn't as if she didn't get a good look at him. She for, got a long, hard look at him in multiple, for, a, yes, for a while. Indoors, outside, yeah. in the dark, in the light, yeah. Well, despite this, Bundy insisted emphatically that he was innocent, and his defense attorney, Bruce Lubeck, was convinced. Lubeck was later quoted as saying, I uh, certainly thought it was a case of mistaken identity, but uh, I think it's fair to say that uh, my perceptions have changed over time. Again, a whoops-a-daisy. My bad. <laughs> That's when you send a public apology to a lot of people. Everyone's victim. <laughs> All wow. the victims' families. Bundy was released on $15,000 bail that his parents paid and spent the days between his release and trial at Liz's house in Seattle. Can I hang out at your house while I wait to go on trial for <sighs> kidnapping? My God. Also, his poor parents, you know they didn't have fifteen grand just lying around. <sighs> they probably just scrape it together. Oh, yeah. Old, old Mr. Bundy working as a cook at the Navy, he didn't have a bunch no. of money. and his mom, who's just convinced that this is all a misunderstanding. The whole time. And up until he confessed before his execution, she professed his innocence. For She was sure that this had been a nightmare, yes. that it, he hadn't done any of it. A mother's love. It's, uh, it runs deep. Yes, on February 23rd, 1976, Bundy's trial began. Each day, 200 people, most of them reporters, lined up for 50 seats in the courtroom, which Ted quickly turned into his own personal platform. Just a smug sack of shit oh, if you see so any smug. of the interviews so outside. So smug. Just regardless if you if you did it or not, he knows he did it. But even if you're on trial and you didn't do it and you know in your heart of hearts that this is a misunderstanding, I'm innocent, you're not going to have this shit-eating grin on your face the whole time it's disrespectful to the to the court to the victims to everyone that's there 
act like a normal person. Just sit there with a stone cold look on your Say, face I'm like sorry. anybody else's. It would be on trial for kidnapping. It's a sad thing that happened, but I didn't do it. Oh my God, this yes. is horrifying. I hope we find, for every minute that I'm here, the real person's out there, but he was just like, I think we'll yes. find out what happens. I mean, that's, to me, he thinks he's being aloof and, and obviously I didn't do it. It points even more fingers at him because he's acting like a complete psychopath. When they said, do you, do you plan on finishing law school? He's like, uh, yeah, I'll finish oh, law yeah. school. We're and I'll be a damn good outside lawyer. The courtroom. <laughs> like, yeah. You shitbag. Yeah. In addition to the storm of media, Bundy had a large following of supporters that insisted he was innocent, which included his coworkers from the Department of Emergency Services back in Seattle, congregates of the Mormon church Bundy attended, and young, attractive women that thought he was just too charming and good-looking to have committed any crimes. These women would show up like groupies at a rock concert to this trial and make eyes at him from from the wherever they sit, the what is that called? The galley. The galley and just flirt with him essentially. And then in interviews afterwards, they'd be like, "He's just he just doesn't look like he's the type of person that would do this." Well, it's guess 19- what you're his 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 type, and I'm surprised that you're not going to be next. Yeah, but it's like 1976. I just wonder if you want to be a groupie of someone, <laughs> go be a groupie of Mick Jagger, Fleetwood Mac. Fle- yes, Mick Fleetwood would love to have you <laughs> wait for There's, him backstage. The 70s were a great time for music. There are a lot of people you could be groupies for. There's no reason to flock to the. I mean, Elton John was around, and oh, there yeah. was there was a lot of good stuff. A lot of good things happening. I just, first of all, Hall and Oates, come on! Oh, they're that. playing at the Windstar. They're in a few coming. Weeks. They're yeah. coming. Man, yeah. I love it. I got a good Hall and Oates vinyl. Man, oh, I love vinyl. Yeah. I got a lot oh, of vinyl records, I and I a ton of vinyl records. Certain rumors, Fleetwood Mac. Oh, you gotta one play of the on best vinyl. albums of but all time. There's no reason at all for you to be a groupie of of Ted no. Bundy. There's Even just, if he is innocent, why the Eagles were around? <laughs> There's so many. There's so many rock and rollers yeah. that actually per- contributed to society. Even if he was innocent, he's some idiot law student. Yeah, exactly. Bundy was cocky and arrogant in the courtroom and insisted on giving boisterous interviews to the press. The showboating would turn out to be a bad move. Under the advice of his attorney, Bundy had opted for a bench trial, meaning a jury of his peers would not hear the evidence, but a single judge would decide his guilt. When defense attorney Lubeck called Ted to testify, it did not go well. Lubeck said, He uh, testified that he didn't do it, but his attitude, as I recall, was uh, kind of cocky. Again, not the, not what you want to do on the stand when you're not life yet is on trial, but you're going to prison. This a defense, you moron. The defense attorney makes you think of Charlie's uncle, and it's always Sunny. That's the attorney yeah. that's his suits are always a little too big, and he's always like, yeah. "Oh, I thought I was doing a good job." Yeah, this poor or Henry guy. Winkle on Arrested Development. Yes. Oh my god, that's balls. <laughs> he's so good in Barry too. Henry Winkle is so fucking. good. He's so funny. Without a jury of adoring fans to save him, Judge Hansen convicted Bundy on March 1st, 1976, and sentenced him to 1 to 15 years in the Utah State Prison. Upon entering prison, he was also given a 90-day psychological evaluation by Dr. Al Carlisle to determine if he should be eligible for probation. After extensive sessions with Ted, Carlisle concluded that Bundy was, in fact, a violent danger to society and should remain in jail. Good job, Doc. On October 21st, 1976, while Bundy was serving his sentence for the kidnapping and assault of Carol Durant in Utah, he was also charged with the murder of Karen Campbell in Colorado. 
When Utah police had found the brochure to the Wildwood Inn in Ted's apartment, they had notified the Colorado authorities, who then found gas receipts that put Ted near the inn around the time of the murder. An eyewitness had also come forward, saying she had seen Ted in the elevator at the inn the same day Karen was murdered. Upon being charged with the murder of Karen Campbell, Bundy was extradited to Aspen, Colorado in January 1977. He started to fight the extradition, but mm-hmm. then agreed, and I think it was for fun. Really? I think he wanted... His, his Lubeck said he thinks he can win in Colorado. He, I think he thought, yeah, bring it. I, I want a challenge. I want a challenge, yeah, yeah. Because otherwise he's just bored in jail. Yeah. Yeah, it gives him a change of scenery, mm-hmm. it puts him again in the media. Spotlight. Gets, gets some attention. He loved being in the in the spotlight in the media. On June 7th, 1977, Ted was taken from his holding cell in the Garfield County Jail to the Pitkin County Courthouse in Aspen for a preliminary hearing. In a shocking display of arrogance and stupidity, the man who had never even finished law school elected to serve as his own attorney. But maybe this wasn't so stupid. Since Ted was serving as his own attorney, he was excused by the judge from wearing handcuffs or leg shackles, was given unlimited use of the courthouse library, and was basically allowed to roam free around the courtroom. I think it's 50-50. He wanted to escape, and 50-50, he wanted to be his be own, his own attorney. And have the spotlight and have the microphone. Also, I mean, any you can represent yourself, sure, that's legal. I don't think, and they say in the Bundy tapes... They didn't realize the magnitude of this person that they were dealing with, or they would never have let him not be shackled in some way. He was wild. You don't just let a prisoner, even if they're representing themselves, act as if they're just a regular lawyer walking around. I think he was such a two-faced that he had this whole... In addition to his actual face, but this persona of, I'm a law student. Yeah. You need to let he me. He used his charm and his seemingly he, good looks. I mean, a lot of people, I don't think he was good looking, but a lot of people did. And he used that on both men and women to well, get what he wanted. And I think he put on this air of sophistication. Yeah. I would never jump out and run away. No, it's that's like, beneath me. I am. I need to go to the library. Yes. That's my fancy person voice. I need to, go, I to, need to li- go to the library. Do you have any caviar to serve me? Bring me my caviar in the library. <laughs> On a sunny, cloudless day, during a recess from the hearing, Ted asked to visit the courthouse's law library on the second floor to research some supporting case law to help his defense. Ted found a bookcase that hid him from the guard's view. There, he opened a window and jumped 25 feet to the ground below, spraining his right ankle as he landed. Bundy removed the outer layer of clothes he had been wearing to avoid being recognized and quickly walked through the city of Aspen as authorities were frantically setting up roadblocks. The checkpoints didn't help them find Bundy, but they did manage to confiscate 200 pounds of weed. They made a haul, man. Ain't that a bitch, though? You're just driving in Colorado trying to smoke some good reefer. <laughs> Somebody that you have nothing to do with escapes from court, the courthouse. And they take your weed, And man. now your weed gets taken? Boo. That's, that's just wrong. Ted Bundy is just uh, wreaking havoc throughout the city of Aspen. In the Netflix series, The Ted Bundy Tapes, Bundy recalls how he had been planning his escape for weeks. He would spend hours jumping off the top bunk in his cell to strengthen his legs for the impact when he landed. He also practiced changing his clothes as quickly as possible and had mentally measured the distance from the courthouse to the alley, the alley to the riverbed, and the riverbed to the mountains. So he was a planner. He also said he saw throughout the months of being there multiple opportunities where he could just walk out. There was such little 
regard as this person is an actual threat. Mm-hmm. And in one of the, the prosecutors says he's out in the hallway smoking a cigarette when they're on recess. And one of the guards comes out and says, do you know where Bundy is? And the prosecutor jokingly says, it's not my turn to watch him. And the next thing he knows, there's just swarms of cops rushing into the courtroom. Everything's on lockdown. People are Searching freaking everything. out. Yeah. And they're like, that's no one had eyes on him. Everyone, it was the bystander effect. Somebody's like, Somebody's well, watching somebody him. else will watch him. And meanwhile, I'm out in the hallway smoking a cig. And he jumps out of a freaking two-story window. He runs away. Yeah. He just runs away into he the daylight. He literally ran away. Well, I think it's funny, too, that he had this perception of not being threatening, that mm-hmm. he was in a suit and he wanted to go and read books. And so they didn't think he was going to just run off. No. It's also... Almost false sense yeah. of uh, like comfort and yeah. trusting yeah, yeah, just because yeah. he's in a suit. He said he psyched himself up for weeks. And even when he was standing before the window... He just kept saying, you've got to do it. You've got to do it. You've got to jump. You can't turn back now. You've just got to do it. And he he just did it. And he said it was a beautiful, gorgeous day from the courthouse. You can see the mountains clearly right there. And he was just looking at that thinking, I just want freedom. I'm tired of being locked up. 150 police and dogs set out to search the mountainous terrain for the escaped convict. The dogs are able to pick up a scent from the sweater Bendy had dropped when he changed clothes and tracked him to a bridge in town. Unfortunately, they lost the trail there. When Bundy had fled to the mountains, he hiked upwards into deep foliage where he found an unoccupied hunting cabin. He broke in and stole food, clothing, and a rifle. He spent the next two days there before continuing south toward the nearby town of Crested Butte. But the forest proved too thick and dense for Ted to maneuver, and he ended up wandering around aimlessly for the next two days. After being on the lam for six days, a storm blew in that weakened Bundy both physically and mentally. He later recalled he decided to walk back to Aspen to, quote, just see what was going to happen. Just arrogant. So arrogant. Somehow he managed to elude all the police roadblocks and found an unlocked car with keys in the ignition. Welcome to the 1970s. Yep. He got in, drove off. And was on his way out of town when a police officer pulled him over for driving erratically. I imagine if his right ankle was sprained, it was difficult to drive. You know, you drive with yeah, your right foot. Yeah, for sure. Also, if you know a convict is on the loose, maybe don't leave your car unlocked with the keys. <laughs> or it's a Bundy fan. They're like, Ted, take this car. We got you, buddy. Six days after his escape from the courthouse, Ted Bundy was arrested. He had lost around 25 pounds, looked haggard, and limped from all the blisters on his feet and his injured ankle. Gross. Oh, that many. I have one blister on my Achilles heel right now because I was walking Ooh. around in fancy shoes and I didn't want to stop walking. And it hurts. Oh, it it's the worst. Feels like I got ice picked in the yeah. ankle. Yeah. Oh, or what blisters is it? are the worst. Pet cemetery when that kid yep. gets the guy in mm-hmm. the ankle with the paint scraper. Man, that's what it feels like. It hurts so bad. I can't imagine him on the bottom of your feet. Nope. I wish Ted Bunny had blisters all over him. <laughs> Fuck that guy. He looks... I hope he's limping. He looks just... Well, he's... he's. I mean, maybe, depending on what you believe happens after we die. He could be limping around somewhere. When he's taken through from, with the reporters and stuff... Just shit-eating grin. He's, and just laughing. And he looks... He looks like he's been on Survivor. He, he looks does. like he's been on a deserted island for 39 and he's days. he's laughing and, yeah. hey, good to see you again. Yeah. Well, Ted was now back in jail at the facility in Glenwood Springs. Things were actually in his favor, legally speaking. Both the prosecutors and the defense knew the case against him for the murder of Karen Campbell was fairly weak due to a lack of any witnesses or physical evidence. 
Even better for Bundy, several pretrial motions were resolved in his favor and significant bits of evidence were ruled inadmissible. Ted's friends and legal counsel repeatedly told him to wait out the prison sentence. The prosecutor's case was weak and getting weaker with every piece of evidence excluded. If he could beat the charge in Colorado, prosecutors in Utah and Washington may be convinced he was untouchable as well. He also only had about another year and a half to serve on his conviction of kidnapping Carol Durange. This is wild in an alternate universe. If you think about he say, for instance, he just stayed in jail mm-hmm. and then gets out in a year and a half mm-hmm. and they don't have evidence to charge him in anything else. Mm-hmm. He would probably have kept doing it. Oh, sure. For years and years. Yeah. I, I mean, 100 percent. Arrogant as ever and longing for freedom. Bundy hatched another plan to escape. He acquired a detailed floor plan of the jail and a hacksaw blade from other inmates. He also accumulated $500 in cash, smuggled in over a six-month period, he later said by visitors, Carol Ann Boone in particular. His former co-worker at the Department of Emergency Services and now lover at yes. this point. Yeah. A staunch supporter of his innocence. Just, she was the ultimate Bundy fan girl. Yes. At night, while other inmates were showering and preparing for bed... Bundy used the hacksaw to create a hole about one square foot between the steel reinforcing bars in his cell's ceiling. Because of the six days he spent in the Aspen Forest, and having skipped many of his jailhouse meals, Ted had now lost 35 pounds and could easily fit through the small opening. I'm trying to think. One square foot is, it would be probably a little bit less. Well, I have a 15-inch laptop. Mm-hmm. It would be a little bit less than that. I, I don't think my head would fit through that. Your head would fit through that. The rest of you, but you get stuck. <laughs> but what about your shoulders? Yeah. He, Maybe just because he was so skinny. Also. I'd look like Winnie the Pooh getting stuck <laughs> yeah, down the honey yeah, hole. honey tree. Also, when your life is on the line, it's, Go when the it. stakes are like this, you are capable of doing things. Otherwise, you wouldn't be able to. I think so. He was ready to just at all costs. He was also a twit. I mean, he was skin and bones at this point. He was 35 already... pounds in a month. That's that's true. That's and he was he was what about one sixty when he was at his regular yeah weight. So that's, I mean he was already slender at his regular weight. Yeah, he was a fit guy, mm-hmm. and so man on top of that, because he lost a lot of muscle too, so yeah. it would just be bones. Mm-hmm. Yikes! On December thirtieth, nineteen seventy seven, while most jailhouse staff was on vacation for the holiday, Ted stacked up a pile of books on his bunk and wriggled through the hole he created into the crawl space above. He also filled his bed with books and covered them with a blanket to give the illusion that he was fast asleep. The old Ferris Bueller trick. Mm-hmm. Above Bundy's cell was one of the guards' apartment. Luckily for Ted, the guard wasn't home, and after Bundy busted through the ceiling, he changed into some of the jailer's clothes and walked right out the front door. Again, just walks right out. And they said the jailer was out on a date with his wife. So you imagine getting home and there's a damn hole in your floor? Yeah, also, I would never live above an inmate cell because something like this could happen true even if just knowing that there's a possible convicted murderer living beneath me true i mean that man that's i don't yeah, I think feel about, like the the architect of this jail had something to be desired you got a little bit of wasn't, space up wasn't there wasn't the safest it's about an apartment size yeah space. we'll hey, just put ted, we'll just put one of our workers up put there. ted bundy underneath you ted will go beneath good lord yeah, and his wife, you know that was an argument every day. I, We need to move. I am tired of living. Look, I told you. I told you what was going to happen, and now look. <laughs> Carol, can we not get into this argument right now? We have an escape We convict. will get in this argument, I'll Gary. tell you right now, we are going to talk about it later. Don't think you're going to go to bed without us talking about this later. 
And you know what? Where is that tie, that necktie I got you? I love that necktie. Yes. You know who's wearing it? Ted Bundy. After walking out of jail, Ted stole a car and drove east. The car broke down fairly quickly, but a passing motorist was willing to give Ted a ride 60 miles east to Vail. Man, what a nice person. You know, when all this came out, that guy said, holy shit, that <laughs> was me. That, he would have found a way either way. I think he would have, but he he helped him. He, just knowing that Ted Bundy was in your car for 60 miles. And you survived? Yeah. That's nuts. From Vail, Ted caught a bus to Denver, then a flight to Chicago. Back at the jail with a small number of jailers on staff for the holiday, no one discovered his escape until noon on New Year's Eve. By that time, Ted had landed in the Windy City. Man, he's just, he was smart. He's jet-setting. Jet-set, he just jumped on a mm-hmm. planes, trains, and automobiles. And again, because technology isn't what it is now, no one at the airport or Amtrak knew that this guy was someone they should be looking out for. If you had a plane ticket, they'd let you on the plane. Yeah, they, they didn't did. check your ID. No, they didn't care. No, And also... IDs back then were just pieces of paper that looked like they'd been printed off of a computer. They They're typed on a typewriter. Yes, they didn't have, and they didn't have your picture on them. Mm-mm. So you could have anybody's ID. Just punch somebody and steal their wallet. Yeah, exactly. Which he was familiar with doing. Mm-hmm. Ted left Chicago and headed to Michigan, where on January 2nd, he sat in a local bar and watched his alma mater, the University of Washington, defeat Michigan in the Rose Bowl. He stayed less than a week in Michigan and instead opted to steal another car to drive south to Atlanta. After staying in Atlanta for less than a day, Bundy took a bus to Tallahassee, where he arrived on January 8, 1978. He is just on a vacation, basically. <sighs> Meanwhile, police were frantic and contacted Bundy's friends, his girlfriend Liz, and his mother, threatening them with arrest if they aided him or knew of his whereabouts and weren't being forthcoming. Later, Bundy said he decided to head to Florida because it would be easier to live in a warm climate with the little clothes and supplies he had. He also claimed he planned to go straight, leave his murderous and criminal ways behind him, and live out the rest of his days in anonymity. But that's not what happened. He said he was ready to go straight, that he was ready to quit cold turkey. You can't quit what this lifestyle you've created for yourself. I just don't think so. He did try to get a job within a week, uh, two or three days of being there, but the it was at a construction site. But they required ID, and he didn't have any. Yeah, he said we need a photo ID, and and because he didn't have any, he started going to supermarkets and stealing purses, stealing credit cards and wallets from people that weren't looking, so he'd still be able to pay. You know, pay for all of his things, rent and food and stuff like that. Yeah. On January fifteenth, nineteen seventy-eight, around two forty-five a.m., Ted Bundy entered the Chi Omega sorority house on the Florida State University campus through a back door with a faulty lock. Armed with a piece of oak firewood he'd found in a pile outside the house, Bundy entered one of the bedrooms and bludgeoned twenty-one-year-old Margaret Bowman, then strangled her with a nylon stocking. 20-year-old Lisa Levy was asleep in a neighboring room. Bundy entered her room and beat her until she was unconscious. While she was out, he strangled her, tore one of her nipples, bit deeply into her left buttock, and sexually assaulted her with a hair mist bottle. Kathy Kleiner and Karen Chandler, who shared the adjoining room, were Bundy's next victims. Once again using the log, he broke Kathy's jaw and deeply lacerated her shoulder. He then beat Karen so badly she suffered a concussion, broken jaw, a crushed finger, and lost several teeth. As Bundy was attacking these women, a car drove up, and its headlights shone through the bedroom window, illuminating him. He panicked and fled. Fortunately, Kathy Kleiner and Karen Chandler survived the attack. 
Overall, the attack at the sorority house took less than 15 minutes, and police estimated there were over 30 witnesses nearby, but no one heard a thing. Because, again, he chose that silent... Yeah, and they were asleep. Mm -hmm. They didn't even... The the investigators said they didn't even know what had happened. Mm -mm. They were asleep and didn't have any of a chance to cry out. Mm-hmm. They were dead before they even knew what was happening. I think so. And it it, it was so fast. It was a rampage. Yeah. And it's, again, if he was blackout drunk, filled with rage, yeah. and hadn't, at this point, it was January, that we know of hasn't killed anybody in a long time. Right. Because he's been incarcerated. It's, he is, it's he is raring up. to go. Oh, it was pent yes. up. And it's he's an animal. He's He ran through this place. And I guarantee you picked a sorority house because he knew there would be several women. He also was living in a he was renting a room room that wasn't too far from this. Yeah, Yeah. nearby. Yeah. I accidentally watched part of a Dr. Oz episode the other day. You did tell me this. Wow. And it was forced on you. It was was forced upon me. You did not choose Dr. Oz. Dr. Oz was thrust upon you. And if the only thing that could have made this worse was Nancy Grace was a guest on this episode. And they were interviewing... I can't remember if it was Karen Klein or Kathy Kleiner or Karen Chandler, but one of the women that survived this was mm-hmm. who's who they were interviewing. And she said that she just remembers she got hit over the head and she remembers in her head she was crying out and she kept wondering, why is no one coming to help me? And then after she realized it was because her jaw was completely broken and her face was smashed in. In her head, she was crying out. Yeah, Kathy's out. the one that her jaw was broken. Yeah, in her head, she was crying out for help, but nothing was coming out of her mouth. It's like That's like a literal nightmare. I've had yeah. that nightmare where yeah. somebody's attacking you and you're like, <gasps> yeah, and you're trying to scream and you can't scream. God. And their bedroom faced the, the street. Thank God. And their blinds were open. So when the car pulled up, she said it did illuminate him and she saw him standing there. Just a black silhouette with this log lifted up over his head, ready to strike again. But she couldn't see his face. Mm-hmm. And he he fled. Mm-hmm. And then... Thank God for that car. Yeah. The police said when they showed up, they didn't even know how many... When, when the call came in, the 911 call came in, the person that called said, I think four people are dead. They didn't even know how many people were alive and dead. Well, and especially if they're beaten unconscious. Yeah. The two survivors mm-hmm. even were beaten unconscious. God, can you imagine getting that call as a police officer? He said he he it was the most, he, to this day, he he's never forgotten it. Do you know, weird trivia fact, courtesy of my uh, former coworker who's an investment person, Jim Cramer, who is now on Mad Money oh, yeah. on CNBC at the time was a reporter. He had worked at Harvard and now he was making his way as a reporter. He lived out of his car, saving up money. And he lived, I guess his car was parked reasonably close to the FSU campus in Tallahassee. And when the cops were rushing over there, he was one of the very first reporters wow. on the scene. And then being in such close proximity to this, he ended up being one of the reporters for this, this the Chi Omega, especially and then the trial. Wow. That was one of his like early career, not like it didn't like make his career, but one of the early things that he worked that's on one of those career. things that you just happen to be right place, i don't want to say right place, place right time. Time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah wrong place wrong time i suppose i uh um i thought about going to fsu oh did you well, it's true you're campus. from florida no i'm not from there but oh okay i just not from live. florida but you lived in florida yeah this was oh before that yeah i lived in florida when i was in my mid-20s oh okay so i visited that. the campus and thought about going to fsu oh, wow. after i graduated high school yeah pretty campus yeah, and that's it's uh, crazy to think that you're asleep in your bed in your sorority house and think well, we're fine. Yeah, again, you're in your own 
you're surrounded by your friends. That guy's never going to strike here. He's in Oregon. You're not, He's and in, you're also not living by yourself. Correct. You think you have the safety in numbers, roommates. Yeah, yep. but that you think, oh, that's Utah, that's Colorado, that's that's Washington. Mm-hmm. That's not. That's they had the, no idea the, he'd traveled so far. Opposite side of the yeah. country, and there it was. The that monster that was on the news is right yeah. there. Yeah, man. Continuing on his murderous rampage. Bundy left the Chi Omega house and headed eight blocks away to the basement apartment of Cheryl Thomas, a dancer and student at FSU. Bundy beat Cheryl so badly that he dislocated her shoulder and fractured her jaw and skull in five places. The blows to her head left her with permanent deafness and equilibrium damage. While Cheryl managed to survive, the attack was so severe, it ended her dancing career. So he, that rage was so pent up. After having done what he just did at the Chi Omega house, he, he still wasn't satisfied. He Same night. wanted more. He was literally out for blood. Just imagine if that car hadn't driven up. Yeah. Kathy oh, they would have been dead. Karen would have been dead and more. And probably the Other rest of the people sisters. in that sorority. It had now been 41 days since Bundy had managed to escape police custody a second time, and the list of his victims continued to grow at the expense of the authorities' ineptitude. On February 9th, 1978, 12-year-old Kimberly Leach was kidnapped from her junior high school, raped, and murdered. Police searched for the young girl for eight weeks before discovering her body in a deserted tin shack next to an empty hog pen in the Sewanee River State Park. So again, he's back to these preteens. Taking her, and taking her out, way out where he could probably spend time with her. Oh, yeah. Ugh. A few days later, on February 12th, Bundy stole another car and headed across the Florida Panhandle. Bundy would later say that he felt happy and confident as he lay on a beach he had stopped at in Pensacola. However, that confidence wouldn't last for long, as he would once again be arrested on February 15th, 1978. I just think of this smug asshole laid up on a beach thinking, I did, oh, it. I did it again. In the, I got away. In the Bundy tapes, he says he remembers laying there, just sunshine, water lapping at his toes. What thinking, a day. You've got it good, man. You've, we're, you're going to head into 1978. Well, this is going to be the best year of your life. Nothing's going to touch you. He's, he was proud of himself. Absolutely. And, and he also had just experienced that release mm-hmm. that he, I'm sure, had every time he murdered someone. Around 1 a.m. in Pensacola, Officer David Lee noticed a VW Beetle driving suspiciously. Can we just say, what the fuck is wrong with you, Ted Bundy? He loves the Beetle. He's addicted to the Beetle. <laughs> he can't stop the Beetle. He loves it. He's he a creature of habit. He's, that's, that was his car when he was doing everything. He knows it well. He feels comfortable in it. He knows how to remove the front back. seat, too. Yeah, I'm exactly. Sure. Yeah. When Officer Lee ran the plates, it came up stolen, and he immediately pulled the car over. When the officer told the driver he was under arrest, the officer... When the officer told the driver he was under arrest, the driver violently resisted, struggling with the officer in an attempt to grab his revolver. Lee was finally able to subdue the driver after striking him over the head with the butt of his gun and handcuffing him. So you just think this is some asshole car thief yeah, and you're taking absolutely. him down. Authorities in Florida had no idea who Ted Bundy was and were unaware of the magnitude of the monster they now had in custody. That's crazy. I know. Just a typical traffic stop. That, that's how it happens, too, because you get it. They get arrogant. Mm-hmm. They And it's something. It's not doing the deed that they're known for. It's running a stop sign. Or it's speeding. doing something stupid. You get careless. Bundy was well aware that they did not know who he was and refused to give police his real name. He told police he was an FSU law student. 
But due to the 21 stolen credit cards he had in his possession, many which belonged to FSU co-eds, police weren't buying it. Once in jail, he finally told police that his name was Kenneth Meisner of Tallahassee, and he even had ID cards to prove it. But the media had been all over this story of the mystery man in police custody. And when the real Kenneth Meisner got wind of this, he called the police and Bundy's cover was blown. Hey, I'm, I'm Kenneth Meiser. <laughs> I'm not in jail. You're just sitting at home watching the news. You're like, Kenneth that's Meisner. not me. <laughs> Wait a minute. I didn't steal anyone's credit cards. The jig was up, but Bundy still refused to give police his name. He went in front of a judge and he wouldn't even give the judge's no. name. Yeah. Just smiled. And the judge says, do you know what you're being charged for? And he goes, oh, I think I missed some stuff. Can you... Can you repeat it? You know that motherfucker knew what he was being charged for. He just wanted them to do more work. And there, and the prosecution saying, we don't think he should be, he can post bail because we don't even know who he is. And his defense lawyer that's been assigned to him is saying, well, he should still get the opportunity to post bail. And the judge is saying, we don't even know who he is. How is he going to post bail? He's going to jump denied. the bail. <laughs> you moron. And he just Step looks, one on the bail application is your name. Is your freaking name. We don't even know who this guy is to, to grant him bail. At a seemingly dead end, authorities began to focus on the stolen car instead and discovered it had been stolen from nearby the Chi Omega house. That's some good police work. That's good, yeah. Detectives now began to question Bundy about the sorority house murders. Under the pressure, Bundy began to unravel and eventually agreed to identify himself in exchange for a phone call to Liz. Still, still wanting to control Liz. Yeah. From all these miles away, it's been however, God knows how long since he's talked to her, because 41 days he escaped, and then this has been another about a month or two. I mean, he hasn't talked to her in two, three months, and he yeah. wants to call her. And he says in the tapes that... <laughs> He just wanted someone that was on his side. He wanted a friend to talk to. He had been without any kind of contact with people he knew for months now. And now he was being interrogated by the police about these murders, which he knows he did. So he was look. He was trying to phone a friend. God. And it's like, like I said, leave this woman alone. Yeah. You've abused her enough. Mm -hmm. Leave her alone. In June of 1979, Ted Bundy was tried for the murders of Chi Omega sorority sisters, Margaret Bowman and Lisa Levy. The trial was reported on throughout the world, with about 250 reporters covering it from five continents. This was also the first trial to be televised nationally in the United States. You no, know, he just loved that. Oh, yes. He probably uh, asked for it. Facing murder charges and a potential death sentence, Bundy was provided with five court-appointed attorneys. But because he was a complete arrogant idiot... <laughs> Decided to handle most of his own defense. Can you imagine being assigned to him and he's like, no, 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 I no, got this. No, I'm sure they're like, oh, for fuck's sake. You didn't even go to law school in Florida. They all said that they were so irritated by him because he wanted to say in everything. He thought he was the smartest person in the room. They're trying to help him and he keeps making it difficult for them to help him. Yeah, my, Mike Minerva, one of the attorneys just said he just wanted his, he wanted to be right. Yeah. He didn't care if it would save his life. He, he just wanted, wanted to be, to be right. right. Yeah. He wanted control. He wanted to control these five lawyers. Judge Edward Cowart, the presiding judge, allowed Ted to be his own co-counsel, which was a, quote, fiction, according to his actual attorneys, considering Ted Bundy not only was not a lawyer, but never even finished law school. Yeah, he didn't even go to law school in Florida. He didn't even finish much past, I how believe. Did he, how, if he didn't go to law school in Florida and he wasn't licensed, how was this even legal? Ding, 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 ding. That's so, a great question. 
what you can represent yourself so i could represent myself even never have being a lawyer yes correct you all we all have the right to be stupid he couldn't represent someone everybody else. has a right to be stupid and that includes and my god yourself. do they exercise it <laughs> take advantage but no you're allowed to represent yourself i would say in something even i think in something as simple as a traffic ticket it's stupid to represent yourself there are people who yeah. for 50 to 75 i'm not gonna perform surgery on myself thank you i mean i have eradicated my own kidney stones but that was just due to uh, financial i'm just kidding no i would never <laughs> do that juice. i'm not an insane person i when yeah. i was a kid we didn't even yank my own teeth out unless no. they were very loose. Oh, I did yank my own teeth out. If they were loose. If they're loose, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you, you wouldn't say, oh, I've got a cavity up there. See if you can no, get a drill in there. Oh, my God. See if you can reach up there with a drill. No. I don't even, I, I mean, anything I take, I would rather pay someone that knows what they're doing to do it than try and do it myself. Exactly. And he had this idea that he was a genius. He was in control and wanted to be in control. Well, he looks- also was probably worried what they might find out about him once they started doing some digging. He had complete control over the story and what was going to come out if he was the one doing it. And you'll see the attorneys have one idea of what a nice, rational end to this could be, and he sure just takes a big piss. What do they say? It's a bold move, Cotton. Let's see if it works out for him. Mm -hmm. Tallahassee public defender Mike Minerva was one of those five attorneys on Ted's defense team. The team secured a pre-trial plea bargain wherein Bundy would plead guilty to killing Lisa Levy and Margaret Bowman at the Kiomega House and Kimberly Leach in Orlando. In exchange, Bundy would avoid the death penalty and receive a 75-year prison sentence. Not long enough. No, God. Prosecutors were eager to proceed with the plea because they desperately wanted Ted behind bars and prospects of losing at trial were very good due to lack of evidence. Ted, on the other hand, wanted the plea for other reasons. He planned to wait until multiple years had gone by until victims' memories were fuzzy and evidence had been lost and moved to have the plea set aside. I don't know that that would work. So what does that mean exactly? He would, I think he would argue either that he didn't have the mental capacity to plea at the time, which is uh, an argument that they made later. So say he pleads, he pleads guilty, mm-hmm. 15 years go by, he gets an appeal, he files an appeal. Saying he was coerced into doing it or correct, something like or that? Or saying, oh, uh, you know, a psychologist said that I, you know, didn't understand what I was doing, I wasn't mentally competent, whatever. So then they would set the side, set aside the plea, have another trial. By the time that trial came around, the witnesses... I right. Mean, it would just Who knows? Be, they could all be dead by that if point. If they're not all dead, then you get up on the stand and you say, okay, Miss, uh, you know, Karen Kleiner, you were uh, attacked at this sorority house 25 years yeah. ago. Do you remember who did it? Oh, that guy. Well, how can you be sure it's 25 yeah, years yeah. ago? You know, and kind of and say, okay, well, we have His the, chances for it's getting out go up. Maybe after the that. photos get lost of mm-hmm. the victims, things like that. Well, at the last minute, just when Bundy was expected to plead guilty, he panicked and refused to plead. Defense attorney Mike Minerva believes that after professing his innocence so vigorously, Bundy couldn't stomach the thought of standing up in front of the whole world and admitting he was a murderer. And so. The trial continued. I think that Carol Ann Boone and Liz and his mom and everybody sort of believed in him. And I thought I think that the idea of copping to it. He had to, he would have had to run away with his tail between his legs. That yeah. wasn't his style. He well, wasn't about. He just was so dug in. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But I, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. Yeah. At trial, two of the victim's sorority sisters provided damning testimony. First, Connie Hastings testified that she saw Ted Bundy in the vicinity of the Chi Omega house that evening. Next, Nita Neary testified that she actually saw Ted leave the sorority house with the murder weapon, the piece of oak firewood. So these were both very helpful. Yes. 
Prosecutors introduced several pieces of incriminating physical evidence, including impressions of the bite wounds Bundy had inflicted on Lisa Levy's left buttock. An enlarged photograph of the bite marks was put before the jury, and the prosecutors called forensic dentist Richard Soverin and Lowell Levine, who were able to match the bite marks to castings of Bundy's teeth. It's a particularly dramatic scene in the Zac Efron movie yes. where they hold him down to take the teeth castings. Yeah, in the Ted Bundy tapes, the sheriff at the time says he went into Bundy's cell in the middle of the night, said, hey, you're coming with me. Wake up, bitch. You're my new best friend. Bundy did not like this. Mm-hmm. He took him out. He thinks Bundy believed he was going to kill him. Oh, that wow. he was the sheriff of the town. He was just going to put an end to this. And you know what? Him- yeah, do it. <laughs> he put him in the back of a van, took him to another location. And when they got out, there was a dental chair there and a bunch of uh, dentists and people in white coats. And he said, Bundy flipped out, said, you don't I, I, I'm not consenting to this. You don't have the legal right to do this. My lawyer isn't present. And the sheriff said, uh, the fuck we don't lay back. bitch." Yeah, we, and put him in the chair. And he said. Almost immediately, Bundy's complete demeanor changed, and he flipped and just put on that charming personality and said, Sheriff, you know you don't need to do this. You know I'm not a violent person, and you do what you got to do, and like laid back. And But he lost control for a minute, mm-hmm. and everyone saw the true person within him. Which is like, you son of a... And then he realized, I gotta I'm out cool. of control. I got to rein it back in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I bet that's his whole life is balancing that rage mm-hmm. monster versus yeah, this. That's why he drank slick. so much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. On July 24th, 1979, the jury deliberated for less than seven hours before convicting Ted Bundy of the murders of Lisa Levy and Margaret Bowman. They also returned guilty verdicts on three counts of attempted first degree murder for the assaults on the other women in the sorority house and two accounts of burglary. Judge Cowart sentenced Bundy to death for the murder convictions. A listener sent us a message on Instagram and let us know that one of her co-workers was one of the jurors in the Bundy trial. Oh, wow. And she said that <laughs> that Ted Bundy thought he was buddy-buddy with the jury, and he would have to go near the jury box to look at evidence and would say, hey, how's it going? Mm. How, how's the weather out there? And the jurors were like, get away from us, you creep. Just trying to so use I, that charm to win over. I think in his mind, he was being slick, yeah. but the jury was like, get the hint, R. Kelly. Get away from yeah. our Chili's table. Yeah. We do not want to talk to you. You're a creep. Exactly. In January of 1980, Ted stood trial for the abduction and murder of Kimberly Leach in Orlando. Ted did not fare well at this trial either, due to eyewitnesses who put him at the scene of Kimberly's abduction and, in fact, saw him lead her away to his van. Call the police if you see I a know. guy taking a kid in a van. Don't come out years later saying, oh, yeah, I saw that. After deliberating for less than eight hours, a jury once again found Ted Bundy guilty. You done goofed. Stop representing yourself. Always a showboater, Bundy decided to take advantage of an obscure Florida law during the penalty phase of the trial. The law stated that if a declaration of marriage is made in court in the presence of a judge, the marriage is legal. It's like bankruptcy if you just yell it, if you declare (laughs) it. I I declared bankruptcy. I declared it. As Bundy was questioning Carol Ann Boone, his former DES co-worker and loyal confidant and supporter who had moved to Florida to be near him during the trial. Let's repeat that. She moved to Florida. Uprooted her life and moved there because she believed so strongly in this man. Man. During the questioning... He asked her to marry him. She accepted, and under Florida law, they were legally married. In October of 1981, Carol Ann would give birth to a daughter 
she claimed was fathered by Bundy. Another gratuitous moment in the Zac Efron movie is him making love to banging. Uh, I would say banging. If you're doing better. it, I think if you're doing it against a coke machine, it's banging. It's banging. And yeah, it seemed pretty aggressive. Uh-huh. They did not have conjugal visits in prison, but it was well known that you could pay off the guards to turn the other cheek and, and let and you do your sneak thing. away behind the yeah. phantom machine. Yeah. Ted's execution was scheduled for July 2nd, 1986, but before it could be carried out, the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals issued an indefinite stay and remanded the case for review based on Ted's mental competency to stand trial and an erroneous jury instruction issued in the penalty phase. At the time of trial, Judge Coward had instructed the jury that they were required to break a 6-6 to tie between sentencing Ted to death or life in prison. So that hadn't been done, Correct. The tie had not been broken, and well, that's he why went, they... Well, there was a tie, and then he said, go back and resolve it. And if they, if the jury says, we're hung, you have to say, okay, you're hung, we'll get... But it wouldn't have changed So his... he wouldn't accept that they were hung and said, no, you're going to go, go back, back and, and figure do it. this yeah. out. And they said, because of that... It, he kind of coerced them, yeah, you know, okay. and so, not really, but that was the argument. And I, at the what theoretically arguably should have been done is if the jury does say we are at an irreconcilable point of contention, we cannot, then you would have to seat a new jury. Mm. But and they didn't want to go through all that. Well, again. exactly. You want to go through all that. It would not have done anything to his actual conviction. He still would have been convicted. But if you have to seat a new jury, you had to go through Fort Dyer. It's going to take forever. And then you'd have to basically present a redo the whole entire trial. Yeah. For the penalty phase. And that's the the judge is like, we're not fucking around with that. Yeah. Don't do it. But which, by the way, if you see, I'm telling you, the Bundy tapes, Judge Cowart sounds like Foghorn Leghorn. <laughs> I believe you all can resolve this amongst yeah. yourselves. He Please sounds like back. a very Florida judge. Not like John Malkovich. No, he doesn't. That was odd casting. Not even a little bit. He also looks like Kevin from The Office, not John Malkovich. <laughs> While the execution had been stayed for the Chi Omega murders, Ted was still scheduled to be executed for the murder of Kimberly Leach. His new death date was set for November 18, 1986. Yet again, the 11th Circuit issued a stay at the last minute, saving Ted's life. After nearly two more years of appeals, the 11th Circuit finally ruled against Ted on all outstanding arguments. Ted's final hope was an appeal to the Supreme Court. That hope was dashed when the Supreme Court denied a motion to review the 11th Circuit's ruling. It was a 5-4 ruling, so it's pretty narrow. Wow. After that last ruling, Ted's definitive execution date was set for January 24th, 1989. Reading the, a couple of the dissents, I didn't read all of them, but it was general opposition to the death penalty. Oh, Justice okay. Brennan believes believed that the death penalty in all cases was cruel and unusual punishment in the violation of the uh, Eighth Amendment. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't anything... It's not like they harbored They thought it. he was innocent by any means. No, no, no. Yeah. Although some complained that Ted's appeals process allowed him to live a long life after being sentenced to death, it was actually on track for the time. Ted had been convicted in July of 1979 and February 1980, respectively. The final vote of the Supreme Court came January 23, 1989. According to the Bureau of Justice Statistics, the average time spent on death row before execution in 1985 was 71 months, or just less than six years. Today, it is approximately 16 years. It takes a long time for to get through the appeals process. So he was on death row for about 10 years. It was maybe a little bit longer than the time, but it was by no means insanely long it right. wasn't like they were the courts had it like favor for him or his lawyers were doing delay tactics it was pretty expedient comparatively and as someone who even in this case is against the death penalty mm-hmm. 
I feel like his time in prison was far worse than what he was going to experience after death. He's I've, gone. He doesn't have to suffer. Oh, I He's think getting his... gang raped in prison. He did. Having uh, the shit beat out of him. Mm hmm being isolated kept from his friends and family that is a worse life for him than just nothingness well in or, my opinion well i think so or the smugness of getting to die with that information and he that's his ultimate it's mine yeah. i'll keep it go ahead go ahead next they even me. said the night before his execution he talked a lot about suicide because he didn't want the state to have control the gratification of putting him to death he wanted to do it his own way Wow. But that's a great argument, I think, against the death penalty is that you're giving this dude what he wanted. Yeah. I mean, yeah. in this case, and he, he got to keep that keep that information mm -hmm. that was his and possess his victims one final time. Yeah. The night before his execution, Bundy confessed to 30 homicides, but the true total remains unknown. What did they say when they said you killed 36 people and he said add, add a, a digit? digit? And another person said, I don't even think he knows how many he killed. He probably doesn't, yeah. He also said... In some interviews that when he was first starting out and he was kind of erratic and an opportunity killer, he didn't know what he was doing. But when he became a seasoned killer in 1974, then that's when he peaked, implying he had been killing a lot before these mm -hmm. 74 murders that are the first known murders that we know of that yeah. he actually admitted to. So he's he had a long. Yes. If he started killing in his teenage years, there's really no telling. And even uh, when he was on the lamb, I think he killed more than oh, we definitely. know of for sure. And that those like long bus rides or yeah. driving in his car from Michigan to Atlanta. There's yeah. no way he didn't do something. Also the night before his execution, a prison spokesperson said, It appeared to me that he realizes there's only a few hours left and he realizes the finality of the situation. He is somewhat emotional, bowed his head quite a bit, and it appeared he cried. I think it's all for show. I don't think he gives a shit. I, I think up until the very last second he thought he was going to get out of it. Smug guy. Mm -hmm. Smug. Bundy waited out those final hours in an isolated cell, 30 paces from the electric chair, nicknamed Old Sparky, with two guards watching him full time. Yeah, they want him to escape again. Yeah. Ted turned down his opportunity to request a special last meal. Rather, he was given the standard last meal for Florida's death row inmates. Steak, eggs, toast with butter, jelly, milk, coffee, juice, and hash browns. He didn't eat any of it. What would be your last meal request? Oh, man. I I have some hot takes on last meals. Go ahead, please. I I don't Why should they get yeah, rewarded? I don't Great I don't question. I don't see the the purpose in it. You're giving this person one last chance at uh normalcy and and something they enjoy something they they that will make them feel peace who gives a shit if they what they're yeah. feeling they like you need a shit sandwich yeah, yeah maybe that should be their last meal i take a dump on a piece of white bread and force <laughs> it in their mouth like i just i don't get it also i don't know if it's like you're a, about to be killed who gives a shit if you're hungry or not that's a great question i wonder if and it's some sort of sick Maybe like humanity. I think hum that's what it is. Humanitarian kindness. It is. That's yeah. exactly what it. I mean, what else would it be? There's no scientific r explanation for well, it. I mean, that's true. Yeah. It's purely based on emotion that they are trying to be kind, humanize them, and give them one last thing before there's nothing more for them. Do you think he asked any of his victims what they wanted to eat before no. he why should hacked he get, their head off? Yeah. Why should he get a last? Yeah. Meal? I, yeah. I don't get it. And I mean. 
if I was going to have a last meal. Skilly queso. <laughs> yeah, probably just the chilies menu. Chilies to go menu. It's a little abbreviated. <laughs> well, I don't want to have a huge heavy stomach just right before everything I on the chilies. Lethally oh, injected. 37 milkshakes. Just, uh, <laughs> just be just disgusting. And some people, some inmates use it to their advantage and just keep requesting item after item after item. Because in a lot of states, they're required to give you what you asked exactly for. Exactly what you asked for. Yeah. You're like, there's a hamburger stand <laughs> in North Dakota yeah. and I need it to be driven yeah. back. I think they have to be able to make it there. Oh, okay. But they they can make most things. Mm-hmm. But mine would honestly probably be should, something be from something my childhood, hard. something that uh, that only my mom made. Oh, like yeah. Chicken spaghetti from my mom. You want to oh. go bring my mom up here to this prison cafeteria and have her make this? You got to get them to make something really hard like creme brulee or a souffle. Yeah, that would takes be so really takes long. Forever. Yeah, and they keep breaking the top. And I'm well, like, I refuse to accept this until I can crack this creme brulee myself. This souffle has sunk i do not want this. I will not eat what this. is that uh puffer fish sushi that you eat that if, if you eat it okay oh, give me that one it, yeah well if they if they slice it the wrong way and they give you the wrong piece it can kill you that's what i want but i want the whole thing you want the whole I'll thing i'll eat the whole thing yeah i mean you might as well i'll take you out before this lecture chair does god protesters stood outside including many drunken college students who chanted things like bomb voyage mr bundy and holding signs that read... Very classy signs. Burn, Bundy, burn. And Bundy is the toast with the most. Wow. Good God. Wow. I mean... Ugh. There was a guy in Spend a Reagan... Spend your time doing something else. I saw a photo of a guy in a Ronald Reagan mask with Burn, Bundy, burn printed on a t-shirt. Good Lord. They also sold enamel pins shaped like little electric chairs. Well, somebody's got to make money off of it. <laughs> it's like a fish concert. Everyone's out there just trying Drunk, to... Peddle their wares. <laughs> Good God. God. At Florida State University, the Chi Phi fraternity celebrated Ted's execution with an evening cookout. They served Bundy burgers and electrified hot dogs under a large banner that read, Watch Ted Fry, See Ted Die. They have a little more reason to be celebrating, I guess, because it hit close to home. Again, it's just bizarre To to celebrate. Even this guy was a monster. A lot of people think he deserved to die. But to turn it into a party is weird Weird. to me. It's very weird to me. Ted called his mom, Louise, twice. At the end of the second phone call, she told him, You'll always be my precious son. God, that poor woman. Heartbroken. Regardless, I mean, she, whether she, when she closed her eyes at night, whether she really thought he was innocent or she just couldn't bring herself to, to stomach it, to think that this actually happened. That is her son. She tried to give him away when he was a baby. <laughs> what, what if she, she had? Man, you wonder that. Yeah. She probably wondered that. And then yeah. after two, after he was executed, her she and her husband would get uh, nasty phone calls and letters from people. And it's not her fault. No, she, she did nothing to warrant no, that. she didn't do that. The prison guard strapped Ted, wearing blue slacks and a pale blue prison-issued shirt, to the electric chair. They affixed a metal skull cap to his head, which had a thick strap, pulled across his mouth and chin. Prison superintendent Tom Barton asked Ted for his last words. He said to his lawyers, Jim and Fred, I'd like you to give my love to my friends and family. Forty-two spectators were watching the encounter from behind a clear plexiglass wall. Just smug. Give my love to my friends Mm -hmm. and family. Not I'm sorry for all the Mm -mm. havoc I've wrought. And you know victims' families were there. Yes. Didn't once acknowledge Give my love. Yeah. Why don't you just say, I love you, Mom? God. I love you, Liz. No. Control. Yeah. You do it. 
An anonymous executioner flipped a switch to old Sparky, which sent 2,000 volts of electricity through Ted Bundy's body. He was pronounced dead one minute later at 7.16 a.m. That's weird that that it's not weird. Every time that someone's executed, it's an anonymous person that does it. Right. So you don't have to live with that guilt. But that guy knows he did it. Well, usually there's like three or four executioners. And you all pull it at the same time. Yes. So so nobody knows who who actually did it. But do you think one of them's like, it was mine? I can they feel, feel a little jolt a little, they <laughs> in do. their finger. It's the same thing with lethal injection. Yeah. There are like five people that do it. So you, know, you don't button. know who, who did it. But you think that executioner says, you want to know what I did. They might hope that it was them. You know, maybe. I was the one. Well, during his time in prison, Bundy underwent multiple psychiatric examinations with varied conclusions. While experts agreed that his exact diagnosis was elusive, Evidence strongly pointed to antisocial personality disorder, which is commonly seen in sociopaths and psychopaths. These people appear charming and charismatic on the outside, but underneath the surface, they have little personality and an inability to feel guilt or remorse. Many experts also believe Bundy suffered from narcissistic personality disorder, a disorder with a long-term pattern of abnormal behavior characterized by exaggerated feelings of self-importance, excessive need for admiration, and lack of empathy. These well, all I think he like fits him. the bill on all these. Yeah. While Bundy eventually confessed to 30 murders, he never accepted responsibility for any of them and repeatedly deflected blame onto a wide variety of scapegoats, including his abusive grandfather, the absence of his biological father, his mother concealing his true parentage from him, alcohol, the media, the police, whom he accused of planting evidence, society in general, violence on television, pornography, and even his victims. Shitbag. He talked about seeing pornography for the first time when he was a teenager and then growing into more and more violent pornography. Mm-hmm. But if uh, the prevalence of that is proof positive that it doesn't turn everyone into a serial killer. Right. He and, also gave an interview just a day or two before his execution with a televangelist. Yes, the Focus on the Family Foundation yes, guy. Yes, who was known for being very Anti. against pornography and went on this saying, porn is what did this to me. If y'all want to, if you might be getting rid of me, but if you really want to stop people, you need to be sitting outside of strip clubs and pornography stores because there are a ton of other people that do exactly what I do. No, that is not true. Thank no. God that's not true. No, that's he. That's this is his way again of saying I'm not. It wasn't me. It wasn't right. I did it. But, but he, I mean, it's also in contradiction with what he said earlier in interviews where. There was nothing in my childhood that did this. Yeah. It's, um, what do we say? They, he had a chance as much as he could to change the story, and mm-hmm. he took it. Yeah, absolutely. It fit the narrative that he wanted at that time. So what do we think? I don't want to think about this guy again. <laughs> Man. He sucks. He sucks. Big balls. He's awful. He's the worst. Um, I think we've covered pretty much everything we can about this. He's a scumbag. This piece of shit. If somebody asks you for help, just kick them. Just say no. Just kidding. Yeah, don't help people. I mean, help people. I know I say that jokingly. But if if your gut is telling you Carol this Durant, isn't right. Carol Durant said the whole entire time yeah. her gut was like screaming at her. Listen right away. to your gut. Mm-hmm. If Even if it means you might come across as an asshole. Who gives a shit? If it saves your life, mm-hmm. that's 
you don't have you don't have to make apologies. Just like that nineteen year old girl did not have to apologize to that thirty something year old man trying Ruining to hit her on birthday. her at a Chili's. You don't owe anybody anything. We don't have to be polite to creeps. No, you don't have to be polite to anybody. Period. But live I, your life for you. And also, like Carol Durant asked to see his ID, and he sort of flashed it and then put it back. There is nothing wrong with saying, "I need to see your badge yeah. and hold it in my hand." And my friends who are police officers and detectives absolutely without reservation would go oh my gosh yeah of yes. course here. and they would show it before you even had to ask a real good police yes. officer will happily show you their yes. their badge they're friendly and helpful and don't take awkwardness as a reason to just brush over some no people prey proof. on that they want yes. you to feel awkward so you don't question them and try to help demand but... people be accountable don't feel guilty about asking for things mm-hmm because it could save your life. It could. And don't trust a man in a VW Beetle. <laughs> Sorry for all our listeners that drive VW Beetles. I mean, myself included, but I said don't trust a man. <laughs> That's true. Okay. All right. <laughs> well, many of you have asked if we have a Patreon where you can donate to the show. We do. Our show will always remain free, but if you wish to donate to help offset the cost of making and hosting the show, you can visit com and click on Patreon in the top right corner. You can get some sweet perks like Patreon-exclusive content. A Sinisterhood sticker, membership to our exclusive Patreon Facebook group, a special shout-out on the show, and a monthly bonus mini-sode. Christy, what am I wearing right now? You are wearing a Keep It Creepy Sinisterhood t-shirt. Because I do own more than one shirt, but I accidentally wore this again (laughs) when we were recording. I think you should wear it every time we record. It's just really comfortable. They are very comfortable. They're very soft, you guys. I may have worn it half the day yesterday and I slept in it great and I'm still wearing it I, right now. and you know what it still looks great thank you so much <laughs> if you are interested in matching me and getting a super sweet Sinisterhood t-shirt head to Sinisterhood.com and click shop in the top right corner and you too can get what I'm wearing which is the heathered navy keep it creepy shirt with Deborah Rolls the airways on the back yes there's mugs hats beanies toddler clothes so cute onesies they're so cute there's hoodies there's all sorts of stuff and when you get yours in send it to us with the hashtag sinisterhood merch and we want to see what you look yes like. people are starting to get them in and it everyone looks great you look beautiful well the best thing you can do to help us grow is like review and subscribe on itunes or wherever you get your podcast and tell a friend who you think would like to check us out it means a lot to us and it helps podcasts like us get more exposure you can follow us on instagram and twitter at sinisterhood pod and like us on facebook at sinisterhood christy where are you at I am on Twitter at Christy or GTFO and on Instagram at Christy M. Wallace. Heather, what about you? I posted a really dope picture of my new motorcycle riding gloves on nice. my Instagram at Heather vs. The World. And I will retweet uh, that hilarious Chili's incident with that creepy guy on my Twitter at MCK vs. The World. I post a lot of pictures of my baby who is, is the cutest baby in the world. She's so gorgeous. So if you want to see her. She's a model. She's basically a model. <laughs> she's an influencer. She's I feel. a hashtag influencer. She's, she's pretty great. She's gorgeous. And make sure you stick around after our sign-offs for your Patreon shout-outs. Yeah. As always, the devil rules the airwaves. Keep it creepy. Thanks so much for supporting the show on Patreon. Here are your Patreon shout-outs. Christian Danielle Burton. Sarah Basin. Samantha P. Ashwini. Angie Erickson. And Amy Mahelik. Thank you so much for supporting the show. Thank you for being loyal listeners. And we hope you enjoy the Patreon bonus minisode coming out this month. Keep it creepy. Bye.